Shalom. Shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. Tonight, we are getting into some interesting passages. We're getting into uh, the passage about when David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And so there's an interesting thing that happens there with Uzzah. We're going to talk about that, or Uzzah. We're going to talk about that. We're going to be reading a, a couple of Psalms as well as we are plugging away with uh, going through the scriptures in a chronological order here. Let's do this. This is First Chronicles chapter 13. First Chronicles chapter 13. Peril in transporting the ark. This is an amazing story. Then David consulted with the captains of the thousands and the hundreds with every leader. David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is from the Lord our God, let us send word everywhere to our kinsmen who remain in all the land of Israel, and to the priests and Levites who are with them in their cities with pasture lands, that they meet with us, and let us bring back the ark of our God to us, since we did not Seek it in the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so, for this was the right, this was right, excuse me, in the eyes of all the people. So David assembled all Israel together from Shehor of Egypt to the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath Yerim. Uh, Shehor is, um, I believe that is of Egypt. Okay. Verse 6. David and all Israel went up to Baalah, that is, to Kirith Yerim, which belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the Ark of God, the Lord who is enthroned above the, the cherubim where his name is called. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, with songs and with lyres, harps, tambles, and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Hidon, out his hand to hold the ark because the oxen nearly overturned it. But the anger of the Lord burned against him. So he struck him because he had put out his hand toward the ark, and he died there before God. Then David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and he called the place Perez Uzzah. It is this day. Uzzah um, means break out, basically breaking out against Uzzah. Speaking of the wrath of God, basically breaking, breaking out against Uzzah. That's what it means in the Hebrew. Verse 12. David was afraid of God that day, saying, How can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David did not take the ark with him to the city of David but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the, the Gittite. And the ark of God was with the family of Obed-Edom in, in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed the family of Obed-Edom 
and all that he had. All right, so there's a lot to talk about here first. Uh, so just in this one chapter, let's just kind of go over some of this. So they were transporting they were transporting the ark on a new cart. They probably chose a new cart because of just out of risk God and they didn't didn't want to use an old cart. They wanted a new cart to transport the ark of that. And Uzzah and Ahio or Ahio, um, they were driving the 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 cart basically they're driving the oxen um and so apparently there was one point during the journey uh transporting the ark where it seemed like the ark would fall off the cart so on and so forth so uza wanted to catch the ark you know make sure that it wouldn't fall off just put his hand towards the ark god struck him dead okay and it says that david upset because of that. And so, first of all, let's talk about why God angry. Why God angry. So, first of all, the ark of God was more or less, for lack of a better term, it was like God's throne on this earth it was it was it was like the seat of of the most high the, the you know god god almighty on this earth and so for Uzzah to do that is really an act of presumption it's an act of pride like i want to save god basically or save the ark of the covenant as if god wasn't looking after it himself um and not only that was he here's a question was he authorized to even touch the ark was he authorized to even touch the ark was he a levite because according to the torah only levites were allowed to touch the ark by the law of god couldn't just be anybody it was strictly forbidden for anybody just any joe blow to pick up the ark or touch the ark or do what he wanted to with the ark uh including put out his hand to steady the ark so do we have any um um do we have any evidence that uza was a levite is my question as far as i can see we he wasn't but even if he was again doing such a thing in that way was an act of disrespect like if someone comes over to your house if someone comes over to your home and is is it goes around touching everything Oh, look at this. Look at that. Got their hands all over everything. That's an act of disrespect. Whether they mean, some people can be very well-meaning. But if you really respect someone else's property, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't be so fast to handle someone else's property. Ask first, right? Well, Uzzah, if he was really in the right place with God, his heart, his spirit, he should have asked God, can I help steady the ark? Can I? Instead, it was an act of presumption and pride. It was disrespect. 
disrespect. And so the Lord was angry. It's almost like someone over to your place and they just, they're quick and, and, and handle one of the most valuable items you have in the, actually the most valuable item in your, in your house. Going to the, you know, wh- whatever, uh, to the, to the, uh, what would you call it? Treasure chest, <laughs> going to a place you have your valuables stored and locked away. And someone just, just any old person is coming up there and opening your safe or whatever it is, grabbing one of the most valuable things that you have. That's a, that's an act of disrespect. Person has, no right doing that without your permission, at least. Or at least, you know, if you're asking them to do it, it's a different story. Of course, God did not ask Uzzah to do that. Uzzah. Very, very interesting. Um, the Tower Time says, yeah, it's like, the, it's like that time you had storms in your area. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Russians. It's the Russians, says one John. Um, so Will says, number, Numbers 4 speaks of Mark. Numbers 4, 15 says, if anyone who is not authorized touch the Ark, they will die. Very much Will. That's it right there. I mean, all the evidence I've seen seems to point and suggests that authorized to touch the ark. Therefore, that's why he died. That's why he died. Now, another thing is too near the end we have the God that was to the house of Obed Edom, and Obed Edom was blessed abundantly because of the ark in his house. I'm just I, I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like to have the, the ark, <laughs> the ark of the covenant, in my house. Can you imagine the ark of the covenant? <sighs> Obadiah is a very very uh, brave man, that's for sure. Especially immediately after what happened to Uzzah, he he welcomed the ark of God into his house. And it blessed him. The presence of God on the ark, the ark blessed his house. It says it blessed the family of Obed-Edom and all he had. Now, here's the thing. If you are in right standing with God, the presence of God will bless you. The Torah will bless you. But if you are not in right standing with God, the presence of God, the word of God, the Torah of God will not bless you. You remember how when the Philistines had the ark and tumors broke out upon them when they had the ark. And so the ark to them brought great destruction upon them. But to Obed-Edom, 
it brought great blessing to him. And this is a thing. Think of this for a minute. In the book of Acts, we have mighty display of God's power and presence. You know, it's the power of God was present to heal. You know, we have the raising of the dead. This is in the book of Acts. We have awesome, mighty miracles of grace and mercy being performed. And, and I mean, people being healed, people being blessed, uh, miracles happening happening in the favor of the people. But also, we also have Ananias and Sapphira that dropped dead on one little white lie. We have Herod that dropped dead on the spot and supernaturally worms on the spot just for missing the beat of the praise. The praise just for missing the beat for the, you know, of the music, so to speak. Okay. I mean, he, he just, he didn't praise God when he was supposed to and boom. So it's the same principle. The presence of God can bring great blessing to you, can bring great healing and health. And I kind of, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit reluctant to use this word because of how it's been abused, but prosperity. It can, but the presence of God can also do the opposite. Instead of bringing life and health and blessing, the presence of God can bring destruction upon you. So you say, why don't we see great miracles happening in churches today? Why don't we see Ananias' and Sapphira's dropping dead today in the church? Because the church does not have the presence of God the way they had it in the book of Acts. God just said, see ya, out of here. I had enough of your churchianity. I'm, I'm done. That's why we don't see the miracles and the, well, the... As I'm saying, I mean, the Ananias and Sapphira, the hair, Elemis, the sorcerer, struck blind. We don't see that kind of stuff. And can you imagine? I, you know, and just before I'll get to some, your live chat here, but um, I wish I could name. It was a, it was a, it was a preacher by the name of Harold. I'm first name Harold, and he he lived uh, around. I think it was. Around the first half of the 20th century, early 19, uh, early mid 1900s, something like that. And actually, there were a few people um, in his uh, meetings, and he would have like e evangelical meetings and stuff like that. That actually did drop down. Actually, I, there was somebody uh, uh, as well in Europe in the 1980s where this happened to. An amazing thing. Um, so let me start with Harold's story first. Uh, he was going around as evangelists did back in those days and still do somewhat today, uh, preaching. And in one of these meetings, there was a couple young men uh, sitting in the back and they were mocking him. They were just mocking him and just uh, apparently they were atheists or whatever the case is. They were just, they were just trolling him. Okay. Big time. And he said to them, and it's this is all documented. This is all like with, with hundreds of witnesses. They were all there. He said to them, if you don't stop it, you will be dead within 24 hours. Both of you. 
And of course, they didn't. They didn't heed. Of course, right? Because they didn't believe. They just kept on mocking. They just kept on. They kept it. You know, to them, it's like, oh, well, whatever. Big deal. I'm gonna threat or whatever. Like, what's going on? So this herald kind of pulled a Peter on on Ananias and Sapphira. Well, the story goes that both of these young men, and they were they were, uh, um, I, I believe it's uh, somewhere like in the twenties, like young businessmen and they, but they had their own the story goes that both of them actually dropped dead within 24 hours and the next meeting the next night uh, was absolutely packed people came from everywhere because it's like man this guy the preacher told a couple guys if you if you don't stop mocking mocking the preacher whatever you're going to drop dead for hours. And so it shook the community. As it says in the book of Acts, the fear of the Lord fell upon the people. What did that do? That didn't drive them away. That drove them to the meeting. It's like, hey, uh, this man de deserves some respect. Let's see what's going on. Back in 1990. Uh, I think it's, I think it was five. If I can correct, I, I, I went to this, I was attending this church and I'll give you the name. I, I was just thinking, should I, should I actually mention the name or not? I'll give you the name. One of the preachers that came to that church, his name was Ed Dufresne. Okay. Disclaimer. I'm not, this is not, I I'm not saying that uh, in, <laughs> I I'm not a I'm not an Ed Dufresne follower. Okay, I'm, I'm I just you know I'm not saying that everything he says is true. However, um, there was this one I went to his meeting, and it was an amazing, amazing meeting. It was one of forget Ed Frayne was preaching and. The presence of God was song in the room. And there was, there was, there must have been over, uh, maybe over a thousand people there. The presence of God was so strong in the room. He had to have a couple guys going around behind him to hold him up. I know some of you guys would be like, ah, that's not that. What are you talking about? Hey, I mean, look at, you read about it in Chronicles. You read about it and you read about it a couple of times throughout the scripture. When, you know, uh, well, first of all, when uh, Moses dedicated the, the tabernacle, the same kind of thing happened. The cloud of glory came. Also, when Solomon de um, dedicated the temple, it says God's presence came in so strong that the priests could not stand to minister. I know exactly what that means. They could not stand to minister. Anyway, Ed Dufresne was going around, and he was actually calling out people. Um, It was an amazing thing. He 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 came to this one guy. He says, "Dan," and this guy's like, "How do you know my name?" He starts and he starts telling Dan about things in his life, and the guy's absolutely shocked. And Dufresne says, "There's somebody here in this meeting, and you 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 are in the Holiday Inn or whatever it was, the Holiday Inn over here, and you you are in room number boom boom boom." He said, "What's well, like 106 or whatever it is?" He said. 
And the Lord says to you, if you don't stop doing what you're doing in that room, you're going to get a disease. And Endorphin, it was just an amazing, it was, it was a very, it was a very, even though the way I'm presenting this might not really, it might not do it justice, Endorphin, the meeting, he was, he was saying all this thing, he was sharing all these things, he was preaching these things in very, very, in a very humble, very, very humble way. And the presence of God was just very, very thick in that meeting. Oh, it was just, this lady behind me just started screaming like crazy. Like she had demons, okay? I mean, I mean, she had demons. How do I know it? Well, when, when, a, when a lady is crawling under your seat screaming like uh, the Tasmanian devil and ripping things as she's crawling under seats, you know there's something up with that. So um, that was one of the things. But Ed Dufresne said that he was in Europe. And, and while he was preaching at this uh, certain church, now this would have been in the 80s. He, while he was preaching at this certain church, he said, all of a sudden he said he just, he, he, he believed that he heard from the, from the Lord. He said, um, he said, the Lord says that such and such another pastor from, from this city, another pastor is, is preaching against and slandering the pastor of this church. And if that pastor does not stop it, he will drop dead in the pulpit. And it was recorded. The evidence was there, hard evidence. And you know what happened? That other pastor, that other pastor got up in the pulpit again. It was like the next Sunday or whatever it was and started preaching against the man he shouldn't be, he shouldn't have been flapping his lips against, okay? He started preaching against him. And you know what happened. He dropped dead in the pulpit. And uh, Edgar Frayne said that, that the, the recording, the copy of that cassette went everywhere. It went all over the place because, you know, again, it's like, wow. I mean, Edgar Frayne comes and he says, if this pastor doesn't stop slandering this other man of God, he's going he's gonna to drop dead. And he did. Um, so I said all that to say this. Today, for the most part, we don't have the presence of God like they did in the book of Acts. We should. Oh, yes, we should. But we don't. Why? But let me just say this as well. I have followed. I have studied. I have. Uh, I can't tell you how much. I, can, I mean, <laughs> I'm, uh, I have books and about revivalists. And some, of the, some of these things, some of these revivalists, are, it's just absolutely amazing. Like the Azusa Street Revival, the the revival of Jonathan Edwards, um, of um, another one was uh, what's his name now? Oh, uh, I can't remember the Welsh Revival. Uh, what was his name? Uh, anyway, all these different revivals. Almost every major denomination within the church started with a revival, and I'm telling you, as far as I can see, the revivals seem to be really good. Okay, like we had a little bit, we had a little bit of a flicker of a flame, so to speak, in Pensacola, Florida, back in the mid '90s, and um, I mean, it was so, it was, it was to the point where people, it would, the church was known for a, a couple years anyway. the The church was known for a place that people would go and get changed, repentance. They would find repentance there. Their lives were changed. 
I have a video. I have a video from that revival. And they say that police, when they arrested people, instead of taking them to jail, they would take them to that church because they knew that lives were changed there, that repentance happened there. They knew that the church is what they needed more than more than jail. So they took them to church, dropped them off at church. Hey, buddy, instead of me taking you to jail, I'm going to take you to the revival. And that's the way it should have been. That's the way it should always be. That's the way it should be with every single fellowship and church, every place of worship. We're supposed to be the salt. Jesus didn't say you are the sugar of the earth. You are the honey of the earth. He said you are the salt of the earth. So we've had a little bit. But you know what? A lot of these, shall I say a lot or everyone, uh, ended up dead and dry and empty. Why? I wholeheartedly believe the reason why. And I, I used to go to church. That, you know, this church, I'm not going to name them. I'm not going to name them. But I used to go to a church. One of the, one of the hot spots of revival in, 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 in the world um, about 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. And um, it was a hot spot. I mean, I, it, it, God was doing awesome things there. People were really, lives were being changed. Repentance was happening. It was good. Not fully. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it was. It was a whole. It was a lot better than, you know, a, a thousand other churches. So, I have heard them. I have seen them pray that God would not leave them, like how He left all the other revivals. I saw the people praying and begging God over and over and over again. Countless times, do not leave us, Lord. Do not take your spirit from us. Do not let us get dead and dry and like a just a liturgical, um, lukewarm church or whatever. <sighs> but it did happen. And the reason why I believe every single revival ends up cold and dead is because of works. Their works, because of their doctrine, their faith has died. Because of their doctrine, their revival. It, God, God does these things in the earth for a reason. It's not, it's not so that you can have a picnic. It's not so that you could have a nice little, a good little feeling. He does it for a reason, i.e. repentance i.e. to get you on the track of, of obedience and, and, and following his instructions to get you in tune with his word, with his Torah. And when that, that doctrine comes in, when that grace, I counterfeit doctrine comes in, when that, when that doctrine of, hey, you know, it's okay if you live like the world because we have the grace of God. Like it's okay if you do this and it breaks the law. I know I, I know all these things that you know are transgressing the law of God, but that's 
we have the grace of God. When you get into it, when you get that, you become like Samson. You, you become like Samson. Because in Samson's life, he broke the one too many times and God said, see ya. And because his not his hair, of course it wasn't. His strength is not anything else. His strength was God. God was his strength. When I mean that, I mean he did a lot of things that he shouldn't have been doing. I mean, uh, take, eating honey out of a dead carcass. Uh, I mean that of God, God right there, cutting his hair as he was that. Bro- and he just did too. He just did. He God's law one too many times, and God just walked out the back door. And that is that is what has happened to churches, if not altars. That, that's what happens at these revivals. Give it time. Sometimes it's only days. Sometimes, it's, well, sometimes it's only hours. Sometimes it's days. Sometimes it's week. And if they're very, very foreign times, it's years. But there is there comes a point when people. It starts at the top, right? It starts with the pastor. It starts with the leadership. They start preaching antinomian doctrine. And when they start doing that, and when people start disrespecting God's commands and his instructions, his guidelines, his Torah, God God does what he did with Samson. He says, well, he doesn't say it necessarily. It quietly. It happens a lot of times, right? God comes in with all great fanfare, like, yo, inter- boom, you know, introducing his God, like, you know, Acts chapter two. He comes in with fanfare, he comes in with great power and display. But you ever notice that many churches as well, when he leaves, God leaves. He leaves quietly. And, lot, and he left so quietly in the life of Samson that, he, that Samson did not know the Lord left him. And that is what has happened of churches today. They do not know that God has left them. They believe God's still with them. But the strength is gone. The power is gone. The presence is gone. All they have is their little imaginary friend right now. That's all they have. Because the real deal is not there. And that, and again, this is why I, <sighs> these kind of churches produce atheists. Because atheists say there's no, uh, they, they, they don't believe in God. No wonder. Because every, they, they haven't really seen it anywhere. They haven't seen God. They go to church or they've grown up in church and they haven't seen God there. They don't know God because... In, he basically he's not there. Okay, let me see what we got here in the live chat. Vinny says, "Yeah, anything anointed by oil by the oil couldn't be touched by a commoner." You know, and that's that's the reason why I believe that. I do believe, now again, don't get me wrong. I, I also believe that you you cannot 
be a hundred percent certain on almost and most things, if not all things. I mean, it's almost impossible to be a hundred percent certain, but um, let me this way. There's a lot of evidence that seems to point to the Ark of the Covenant, the real Ark of the Covenant being in India today. There's a lot of evidence that seems to uh, suggest that. Let me just say that. Am I saying 100% sure? No, I'm not saying 100% sure. I'm just saying it looks very much like it's quite quite certain. Let's just say that. Um, but that's the reason why they say that they won't allow TV cameras and all these other people to come, you know, like put it on display here, you know, you know, it's like come in and, you know, my, my grandmother used to own a store, um, like an electronic store way early, you know, like in 1940s. And she was the first one to have a, te a television set within like many miles all around. She was the first one to have a television set. She said that people come into her store and flood her, like the, people would come and flood her store. A crowd, it, there were so many people in the store, they couldn't move. She had to put the television set against, uh, uh, put it out the window, put, you know, put the screen on the, out the window, facing out the window and wire up external speakers outside just to, just to accommodate the crowd. Because the crowd would come to see this new, great, you know, technology. So I understand the Ark of the Covenant should not be made like a television set. Absolutely not. And the Ark of the Covenant is not for the commoner to, to, to view or to see. It's not like a, you know, uh, a, pet, a pet show or something like that. Let's go window shopping. Let's go see the Ark of the Covenant. No. Um, I think that's quite degrading for, for that kind of thing to happen. Um, yeah, so I understand why they, they, they kind of hide it. Hey, I mean, if, if I had the Ark of the Covenant in my possession, I wouldn't be, I, I, I don't know if I'd even tell anybody to be honest with you. Um, Will, Will says, can you briefly talk about perhaps why some people that clearly don't obey God's commandments and preach against them seem to be blessed with wealth and fame. The Joel Osteens of the world. Very, very good. Um, I guess I'd be more of a, a question, a request. Yeah, very good. Um, well, I think it's more like Deuteronomy chapter 13. It's a test. Psalms, Psalm 73. It's like, where do we have our eye? Like, what are we focused on? Let's read Psalm 73. I know we read this a few nights ago, actually, but let's just read Psalm 73. I mean, that just comes to my mind. So, and I think that that has a good, um, a good nugget of truth in it. I think that would, it's, this is where it, it all lies. Um, 73, verse 1, God certainly is good to Israel. 
to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, arrogant here, or boasters, the proud. And I saw the prosperity of the wicked. As I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death. And their belly is fat. They are not in trouble like other people, nor are they tormented together with the rest of mankind. Therefore, arrogance is necklace. The garment of violence. Now, I know in the Hebrew, this word violence doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means today. It means more like just uh, lawlessness or like um, injustice. Their eye bulges from this uh, in the footnotes, goes forth from fatness. Uh, their imaginations of their heart overflow. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. In other words, basically, they seem to be on top of it. They, oppression, they don't, they're not oppressed. It doesn't seem like anything affects them. They speak from on high. Set their mouth and their tongue raids through the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and abundant waters are drunk by them. They say, how does God know, and is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease, vest in wealth. Sure have I kept my heart pure and, and washed my hands in innocence. For I have I've been stricken all every morning. If I had if I had seek this way, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of children. When I thought of understanding this, it was troublesome in my sight. Here's the key right here. Here it is, right here. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Then perceived their end. That's the turning in the sun here. That's the verse eight, speaking to God. You indeed put them on slippery ground. You dropped them into ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terror. Like a dream when one awakes, Lord, when stirred, you will despise their image. My heart was embittered. I was pierced within. Then I was stupid and ignorant. I was like you, never taken hold. You have taken hold of my right hand. You will guide me with your plan and afterward receive me to glory. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And with you I desire nothing on earth. With my flesh and my 
heart, or my flesh, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, you have destroyed all those, but as for me, the nearness of God is good for me. I, God, my refuge, so that I may tell of all your works. So, that's 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 how I see when I see these kind of people like that I'm thinking you know you know it's it is uh, it's really just a fragile outer shell their wealth and fame their their prosperity is is a fragile it's like an eggshell but it's like the egg is empty And, and so I think that it's the Lord's, it's God's will for us to, to look beyond that. To see their end. And the people who get caught up in the, in, in the temp, in this very, or just, the temp just just basically it's the um what would you call it the uh just at this time because who knows in another 50 years like some of these some of these um excuse me some of these people um they they seem to be doing very well now but just give it give it some time excuse me just Give it some time. I think that, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of people. Actually, I can think of somebody right now. And this person, I'm not going to mention his name. Just, you know, I'm not here to slander anybody or to make anybody look bad. But there is a, there is a preacher that was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call him, a, uh, maybe a Joel Osteen. Maybe. Somewhat of a Joel, Joel Osteen. Very prosperous, very famous um wealthy and uh yeah i mean it was like one of the mega churches of the area that um i actually attended his church for a while and um he was a very highly respected man again i guess you would call him a joel osteen he's very close to that kind of um a little bit more charismatic than joel osteen but yeah the same the same principle though um and this was 25 years ago and now he is he he's not in a good place at all he lost his church um I don't know what he has. Honestly, I don't know what he has. He tried to plant another church somewhere else, but I'm not sure how, how good like it, so some of these people it's just it, you know it's fleeting. Their their prosperity and their in their but that's a very excellent excellent question, Will. Going nowhere says, do you think that returning to Israel in 1948 was the fulfillment of Bible prophecy? I know, I know, I don't think so. I, I do. Um, 
I think that God has, God is behind it. God is, is drawing even as we speak, you know, maybe not, you know, by the millions every day, but people, there are people, even as we speak are being drawn back to that, that, uh, that part of the, the world anyway, that, that, uh, that land. And I think that, uh, God is setting up, uh, setting the stage for what is to happen next. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, Vinny says, I watched the Tammy, uh, the, the televangelists, they thought they were blessed with wealth and fame too at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of sad in a way. Sergeant, good to see you. Brother says, Shalom. Sergeant says, Choppy Feed. My apologies. I can't do anything about that, but please. The Uh, just give me a second here. Someone asked the question, what do I think about, well, you know, the uh, Supreme Court nominee that cannot define woman? Uh, someone asked me that question on TikTok. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, America's in trouble. That's what I think. <laughs> That's what I think. America is in big trouble. Big trouble. Byron says, when God leaves someone, do you think he would come back if they changed their lives completely and started following the Lord again and come to true repentance? Yes. Yes, I do. So, one John, I know this is directed towards Will, but I'll read this anyway. Um, it says, Satan is the prince of this world, so he rewards his minions. Uh, those who have heaven of earth won't have anything in the afterlife says unfortunately i know more than a few people who believe they have received wealth and their heart heart's desires because they believe they are doing the will of the father hear ya yeah i know that's that you know so say to that i would say you know we're in the word in 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 the in the scriptures where does the Lord, where does God say that that's how you test people? That that's how you know that they're in the right spot? Where do they, because I think that's the kind of thing that the disciples were talking about when they were, when they said to Yeshua, like, well, I get, actually, when Yeshua said to them, you know, that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, and they were that, uh, I think that that's, the reason why they were shocked had the idea too as well 
that you know wealth and prosperity and you know, riches and fame came from God. But I think Yeshua kind of pulled the pendulum back the other way a little bit more, so to speak, and kind of balanced it out by saying, no, no, uh, it, it, that doesn't mean that you're on the right track at all. It doesn't mean that. Yeah, so it can be a, you know what also too, I'm, I'm just kind of thinking about it. It just sa it says so many times in the scriptures, and I, I would say this as well. Matthew 13, 23. So Yeshua is talking here and saying that the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Deceitfulness of wealth, right? So we have the same the same thing in Mark, Mark as well, Mark chapter four. The deceitfulness of wealth. Just pull up here the um cross references because i know that it says that it talks about that as well in the proverb in proverbs uh the deceitfulness of riches yeah like okay so uh, psalm 52 7 here now is the man who did not make god his stronghold but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others You know, and so we got Psalm sixty-two, ten as well, talking about that. Verse uh, eleven, twenty-eight: Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive at, uh, like a green leaf. Yeah, Will, you brought another good point as well. Uh, James speaks very heavily about not treating people because of their wealth or status in life. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, it can be because it's almost like they get too focused on the on the gift instead of the giver. Psalm eighty four ten: Better is one day in your court, thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wicked of the wicked. So, I mean, this implies that. You know, the doorkeeper would be kind of like a very, it's almost like the Walmart greeter, right? Is, or, you know, the doorkeeper wouldn't be the best job. I mean, in that sense, it wouldn't be like, you know, you wouldn't find the most, uh, the, the richest, wealthiest, uh, you know, highest in stature. You wouldn't find, uh, you know, maybe King Herod or you wouldn't find uh, some of these people that have highest, high, um, status or great riches being something like a doorkeeper. Uh, but same kind of idea, I'd rather be poor with God than to be rich with the wicked. First Chronicles chapter 14. First Chronicles chapter 14. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David with cedar trees and carpenters to build a house for him. But David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that his king was highly exalted for the sake of his people Israel. 
Then David took more wives in Jerusalem, and David fathered more sons and daughters. These are the names of the children born to him in Jerusalem. Shamua, Shobah, Nathan, or Natan, Solomon, Ibhar, Yeshua, Elipelet, or Eliphelet, Noga, Nepheg, Yafia, Alishama, Be'eliada, and Eliphelet. When the Philistines heard that David had been a king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up in search of David, and David heard about it and went out against them. Now the Philistines had come and carried out a raid in the valley of Raphaim. David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up again, Philistines, and will you hand them over to me? Then the Lord said to him, Go up, for I will hand them over to you. So they came to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. And David said, God has broken through my my enemies by my hand like a breakers. Therefore, they named the place Baal Perazim. Baal or Baal Perazim means the mass of breakthroughs or the Lord throughs. They abandoned gods there, so David gave the order and they were burned with fire. The Philistines carried out yet another raid in the valley. David inquired again of God, and God said to him, You shall not go up after them. Circle around behind them and come at, at them in front of the Baca shrubs. When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the Baca shrubs, then you shall go out to battle, for God will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. David did just as God had commanded him, and they defeated the army of the Philistines from Gibeon even as far as Gezer. Then the fame of David spread in all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him on all nations. Let me just say, before I get to the next chapter, just, just a thought that runs through my mind here. You see how God instructed him to do what he did when it came to the the, uh, the war and you know the battles and you know, striking down the Philistines and God instructed him to do that. However, when David wanted to build the temple of God, God said, "No, you can't do it because of that, because of how you have shed blood, basically." It's just, it's an interesting thought. God commanded him to do it. So it's not a sin. It wasn't a sin, but it disqualified him from being the builder of the temple. Just a thought. I'll get to your questions and live chat in just a moment here. Let's read uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 15. I'll, I'll get through this chapter, then I'll get back to you guys. Verse 1, now David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one is to carry the ark of God except the Levites. (laughs) Good instruction, David. 
For the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to serve him forever. By the way, you know, I don't know all the details. And let me just say this. I don't know all the details behind it, but did you know that the the people, the man, I should say, that's looking after the uh, alleged, the Ark of the Covenant in Ethiopia is supposed to be a Levite. And there's a, I mean, they claim that they have traced uh, his, his lineage all the way back to the Levites. Uh, and same with all of the other men who have watched over the Ark over the past thousands of years. They all claim to be legit Levites. Just, just an interesting, just an interest, interesting little piece of information. Verse three, and David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Lord to to its place, which he had prepared for it. Gathered together the sons of Aaron and the Levites. Of the sons of Kohath, Uriel the chief and 120 of his relatives. Of the sons of Merari, Asiah the chief and 220 of his relatives. Of the sons of Gershom, Yoel or Joel the, the chief and 130 of his relatives. Of the sons of Eliaf, uh, Elisaphan, chief and 200 of his relatives. Of the sons of Hebron, Eliel the chief, and 80 of his relatives, of the sons of Uziel, Aminadab the chief, and 112 of his relatives, called for the priests Zadok and Abiathar, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Asiah, Yoel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab. And he said to them, you are the heads of the fathers' households of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your relatives, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place that I have prepared for it. Because carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst against us. Seek him according to the ordinance. Of course, this is talking about um, Uzzah. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. The sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles on them, just as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. Then David spoke to the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their relatives as the singers, with musical instruments, harps, lyres, and cymbals, playing to raise sounds of joy. So the Levites appointed Haman, the son of Yoel, and from his relatives, Asaph, the son of Berechiah, and from the sons of Merari, their relatives, son of Cushiah, and with them, their relatives of the second rank, Zechariah, Ben, Yaziel, Shemiramoth, Yahiel, Uni, Eliab, Benaiah, Maasiah, Matathiah, 
a little, a like you, a little like who? Miknia, Obed Edom, and Yael, the gatekeepers. So the singers, Haman, Af, and Athan, were appointed to, the, to sound aloud symbols of bronze, and Zechariah, Aziel, Shemiramoth, Yahiel, Uni, Eliab, Messiah, and Benaiah with harps to Alamoth and Matathia. Alifalahu, Mekaniah, Obed Edom, Yahiel, Azaziah, to lead with lyres tuned to the Shemanith. Hananiah was in charge of the singing. He gave instruction in singing because he was skillful. Bechariah and Elkanah were gatekeepers for the ark. Shebaniah, Yashaphat, Nathanel, Amasiah, or Amasai, Zechariah, Beniah, Eliezer, the priest. Blitz before the Ark of God. Obedim and Yahya also were the gatekeepers for the Ark. So it was David, the elders of Israel and thousands who went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. Because God was helping the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven Rams. Now David was clothed with fine linen, with all the leader, the singers, and the leader of the singing with the singers. David also wore an ephod of linen. Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting, and with the sound of the horn, with trumpets, with loud-sounding cymbals, with harps and lyres. When the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, Michal, Michal, the, the daughter of Saul, or Shaul, looked out of the window and saw King David dancing and celebrating, and she despised him in her heart. Some people are just jealous, aren't they? They're jealous when you have a good time, aren't they? And you know, I think that's one of the, one of the reasons why people hate Torah observers. Torah observers love it, right? They uh, Torah observers can they'll you know if you're if you're really in tune with the with the word of God, I mean you're you're obeying the commandments of God, you're doing everything you can do within with you know all things considered, everything you know, uh, and uh, and you're blessed. And people hate that, don't they? First Chronicles chapter 16. And they brought in placed it beside which David had pitched, and they burnt and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. When David had finished offering the offering and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. He distributed to everyone of Israel, both men and women, to everyone a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a raisin cake. 
He appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the Ark of the Lord to celebrate and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, the chief, and second to him, Zechariah, then Yael, Shemiramoth, Yahiel, Yahiel, Matathiah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Adam, Yael with musical instruments, harps and lyres. Also Asaph played loud sounding cymbals. And the priests, Benaiah, Yahaziel, blew trumpets continually before the Ark of the Covenant of God. By the way, I know. Um, so when they read that, they think about a, a, like a brass trumpet, which I think it was probably more like more like a shofar, you know, more like a shofar, not like a, a trumpet that you would think of today. Verse seven. Then on the day, on that day, David first assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make his deeds known among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. Boast in his holy name. Heart of those who seek the Lord, be joyful. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonderful deeds which he has done, his marvels and the judgments of his, from his mouth. You descendants of Israel, his servant, sons of Jacob, his holy ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. <laughs> I like that. The word which he commanded. So there's the command. Actually, this is the Torah, right? Uh, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Well, we, as it is, as it stands today, are definitely within those thousand generations. Verse 16, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. He also confirmed it to David as a stat, or excuse me, to give as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as a portion, as the portion of your inheritance. When they were only a few in number, very few, and strangers in it, and they wandered from nation to nation, and from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. And he rebuked kings for their sake, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do not harm my prophets. Sing to the Lord, all the earth, proclaim good news. Of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the 
Lord in holy attire. Interesting, holy attire in the footnotes. The splendor of holiness. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Asher says, God bless Brother Shalom on TikTok. God bless you. God bless you more and blessings multiplied to you as well. Thank you very much. Verse 30. Tremble before him, all the earth. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Let the heavens be joyful and the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nation, the Lord reigns. And let the sea roar and everything it contains. Let the field rejoice in everything that is in it. Then the trees of the forest will sing for joy in the presence of the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his faithfulness is everlasting. Then say, save us, God of our salvation. Gather us and save us from all from the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. So he left Asaph and his relatives there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the ark continually. I think I would want to do that as well. Wouldn't you? You want to minister before the ark of God continually as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom with his 68 relatives, Obed-Edom, the son of Yudathun, Yudathun, Jedathun, and Hosa as gatekeepers. He left Zadok, the priest, and his relatives the priests before the tabernacle of the Lord in the high place, which was at Gibeon, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering continually, morning and evening, even according to everything that is written in the law of the Lord, which he commanded Israel. With them were Haman and Yedithan, and the rest who were chosen who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord because his kindness is everlasting. His kindness in the footnotes, his faithfulness. Faithfulness is everlasting. And with them were Haman and Yodathan with trumpets and cymbals for those who were to play them and with instruments for, so, for the songs of God and the sons of Yedithan for the gate. Then all the people departed, each to his house, and David returned, bless his household. All right. Okay, I got a question over there on TikTok, but just let me get here. Um, let me see what we got here on YouTube here first. Hmm.
Vita says shalom. Shalom, Vita. Good to see you. Welcome. Welcome. Blessings multiplied to you and yours. So someone asked a question. Um, Asher says, how can I explain to my parents about keeping the Sabbath? I trust in keeping it, but they don't. Um, first of all, I would say, pray about it. Pray hard. Pray good. Like pray. Um, because without God's help, you might not be able to convince them. But apart from that, with a lot of prayer, I would, I would emphasize, um, like what the what the scriptures actually say, right? I'm not sure what they believe. If they believe that Sunday is a Sabbath, or if they don't believe in the Sabbath, and any day is a Sabbath, I'm not sure what it is. But I, I would point out where the scriptures make it very clear that the Sabbath day is the seventh day, you know. And as we as we celebrate today, uh, that Saturday is the seventh day. Oh, they believe every day is the Sabbath. I see, I see. So they believe that, um, let, me, let me guess, let me guess. They believe that every day is the Sabbath because they're resting in Jesus, because their faith is in Jesus. Am I right? Just wondering. Okay, absolutely. He says absolutely. Yeah, so... Um, I honestly, let me just say this. I used to believe like that as well for a, for a short period of time. I'm ashamed to say, but I, 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 I used to believe like that. But what got me out of that is, is, is thinking. I mean, it's, it sounds simple, but a lot of people don't do it. I started thinking because, you know, I used to go to a church that taught that kind of thing. Like Jesus is everything, right? Jesus is your Sabbath. Jesus is your, your uh, everything. Jesus paid all. So I started thinking about things. And let me, we can talk about this for a long time, but let me, I'll, I'll try to make it super short. The Sabbath day is a multi-level commandment. Like it's a commandment that blesses you on, in the physical, here and now world. It's also a, a, a spiritual thing as well. There's different levels to it in different dimensions to the um there are different dimensions to the sabbath day commandment so one of the dimensions is of course to to get some good physical rest and so how like you say jesus rested for you jesus can't rest for you any more than he can eat for you any more than he can sleep for you any more than he can pay the rent for you. I mean, you can you can tell your your landlord if you if you're if you're renting or if your parents are renting. If you're not renting, you can tell the government that hey, uh, Jesus is my taxes. Uh, Jesus, he paid it all. He paid it all. I don't have to pay my taxes. Jesus paid it all. You know where I'm going with this, right? I mean, why stop at Sabbath? If if Jesus rested for you, or if Jesus is your rest, why 
why not say that he actually, you know, I don't have to take medication or any kind of, or I don't have to, whatever. I don't have to, I don't have to do anything. If, if you're sick and the doctor says take medication, I know, I know a lot of medication is not, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I, I understand that, but you know, some of it's certain things you can only, you, you, you have to do for yourself and resting on the Sabbath day is one of them. It's like if you if you're um, if you're employed, you can call your boss and say, "Jesus walked to Jesus did it all for me. He paid it all for me. He went to he went to work for me. I don't have to go to work. Jesus did. Jesus is my work. Jesus is my em- employer. I mean, where do you stop with it, right? So, really the. The idea is that the commandments of God are for our benefit and on multiple levels, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, of course, multiple levels. And Jesus didn't ever say, hey, I did it for you. He actually told us to do it. God never said, oh, you know what? These these are laws that the Messiah will come and do for you. He said, you do it. So that's, that's how I would deal with it. But again, I started out by saying pray, right? Because I, I understand that talking the way I'm talking right now can cause to get some feathers ruffled up. And, uh, but you need, you know, pray and use, you know, ask for wisdom and the doors to be open. And, uh, you know, it might, you may not, be able to 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 convey the truth all at once that might be just it may, it may take some time but just keep praying about it and uh and uh you know just hope that god would uh, open their eyes thank you for asking all right So the same uh, Asher says, um, Amen. I mean, the Sabbath was before the written law. Wouldn't it be till the end? I understand. I think I understand what you're talking about. Like, okay, so we got the, we got the written law. Then we got the, the commandments that came before the written law. Therefore, the commandments. Now that see, I, I heard a pastor, actually one of my former pastors, Used, used to teach that tithing is in effect today. The commandment for tithing is in effect. The Torah is not, but the but the the, the commandment for tithing, conveniently enough, is is in effect today because the Torah or the written law is. Uh, excuse me. Let me just back up. Because tithing, and this is what he taught. Don't get me wrong. I, this is wrong. This is wrong. Okay. This is this is not true. And this is what he taught, that that's before the written law, before Torah. Therefore, now that the Torah is done away with, now that the written law is done away with, and we don't have to do it, tithing still remains. Because tithing is not really part of the Torah. It wasn't really part of the written law. 
But here's the truth. Written or not written, it's the same law. The, the Torah existed from the beginning, or even perhaps even before the beginning. Actually, I do believe it was before the beginning. Because the Torah is the reflection of God, is who God is. The, the Torah just is just a reflection of God. Any law is a reflection of the lawgiver. If you have a good a good law, it's because you have a good lawgiver. If you have a bad law, it's because it was a bad lawgiver. So any laws, if you got corrupt corrupt lawgivers, corrupt lawmakers, you have a corrupt corrupt law. Um, so the Torah of God is a reflection of Him, and so as long as God was around, the Torah was around because that's just it's just it's just who He is. It's there's an expression of who he is. It's a picture of him. That's why Abel knew exactly how to worship God. He knew what sin was. Cain knew what sin was, Cain and Abel. Cain didn't care about God. He didn't care about obeying God. That's why his, his offering was not accepted. He didn't offer his offering according to the Torah. The Torah says the first fruits are the firstborn. Abel obeyed the Torah. He brought the firstborn lambs. Cain, he didn't bring the first fruits. He just brought any over. He probably brought the bottom of the barrel. Just any, he just brought of the of the crops somewhere. <laughs> he probably took the best of the crops for himself and then brought the least for the for the Lord. And that's why that's why he was uh rejected. We know that Noah knew the Torah. At least it was the same. It never it never contradicted the the uh the law of Moses. And I hate to say Say the law of Moses. I know that it's you know that phrase is even in the scriptures, but I hate to say law of Moses because it gives people the impression that it's only Mo it's just it's just um, like limited to Moses. Yes, it was a law that came through Moses, but it's God's law. It's not really Moses' law. It's God's law. It's law of Moses, the law of Noah, the law of Abel, the law of Abraham, whatever. It's all the same law. Anyways, it's all God's law. It's just different applications. Of the of the law, it's the same law. So we know no one knew about the unclean and clean animals. He knew about all the sacrificial laws and how to build an altar, what to sacrifice, how to sacrifice, all that stuff. He knew all of that stuff before it was written down. In fact, it could have been written down. We just don't know it. But Moses came and he actually wrote it down for sure, like historically speaking. Nevertheless, whether it was, whether it's written or not, it's still it was still there. By the way, that pastor who taught that um, tithing was is still in effect because it, it because it, Abraham tithed and Isaac tithed and Jacob tithed and people tithed before Moses came. Therefore, tithing is not part of the Torah. Therefore, uh, now that the Torah is done away with, tithing is is still in effect. I thought to myself, hmm, there's lots of other things too, right? The laws of sacrifice were in existence before the written law. And you know, think about it like 
uh, Noah, the laws of clean and unclean animals and the distinction, the distinction between the two that was there, obviously, in the days of Noah before the written law. So there's lots of um, lots of ways you can um, there's lots of ways you can uh, you can talk to them about that. Uh, you asked the question, do I read the Apocrypha? Yes, absolutely. The Apocrypha is is a uh, must read for any any serious Bible student. Yeah, Constantine uh, commanded to do it on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there is, you know, just like how they always say, like where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, there, there are, uh, there is evidence of earlier church fathers, and not that Constantine is a church. There are, there, there is evidence of. Church Fathers, if you read the Antinicene uh, volumes, um, the Church Fathers talks about Sunday as well. Some of them anyway, not all of them. Um, that would be before Constantine. Um, but you know what happened, like, you know, from the time of the 12 disciples to the time of Constantine, and actually all, all the way, all the way through history, uh, the more the more time goes on, the more corrupt things become. Right? So that's why we focus on, you know, let's live, let's live the way Peter, James, and John did. Let's live the way the 12 disciples did. Let's try to learn to the best of our ability to, to the best of, you know, let's try to ascertain what they, how they lived, their doctrine, what they were taught, because that's, that's really, that's, Right from the source. I mean, they got it right from the source, the pure waters. Uh, church historian slash father Hegesippus has got, uh, we have, um, we don't have all of his works, uh, but there, there, there is um, part of his works that are still, that are still available. Um, the rest of it has been lost. Hegesippus taught that after the 12 disciples died, the church fell into corruption quite fast. And that makes sense. I mean, you look at, you look at the children of Israel when Moses went up to Mount Sinai. It took them just only a matter of days before they fell into corruption. Adam and Eve, when 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 God walked out of the garden for a few minutes, I don't know. I mean, or how long did it take them to fall into corruption? So it happens. It happens very fast. And so Hegesippus is a witness uh, that after the twelve disciples were gone, the church had basically they just. They're on that slippery slope of corruption, and they just they just got into all this different uh, practices that they shouldn't have been. Asher says, "Amen." Yeah, I really struggle with trying to bring the apocrypha or Sabbath, etc., but they will get angry. You know. 
they have to, they have to want to know. They have to want to be. They have to be open. If they're not open, it's not. There's no use. They have to be willing to to hear something. They have to be willing to change. If they're not willing to change their views, they're not thinking for themselves. They're not. If they're not willing to change for their change their views, they're not learning. They're not willing to learn any more than what they. If you if you are thinking, if you are in in a state of thinking and thinking for yourself, you put your you put yourself in a in a place where you're saying, "I change my views. I'm willing to move on. I'm willing to grow." Um, so, unfortunately, a lot of people are not there. Yeah, it says they they think I'm lost, so I just lately uh, just stay quiet. What I would do, uh, Asher, I mean, I, I don't know the situation you're in, um, so please take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. I don't know this, the, the, the exact circumstances, but just off the top of my, my head, I'm just thinking, what I would do is I would just drop a little bit, drop a, a couple little truth bombs here and there, because there, there are a lot of awesome things in the in the apocrypha that is just so much i mean clearly into i believe the whole apocrypha is in tune with the scriptures anyway the, the apocrypha is the scriptures part of the scriptures um but there's a lot of things in there in the apocrypha the book of sirach for for example a lot of awesome things in the book of sirach the wisdom of sirach and you know, just, just, just in passing, just kind of quote one verse or or one little concept from the apocrypha, and you know something that is that's clearly in line with the rest of scripture, right? I I truly believe that the apocrypha is in line with the rest of scripture anyway. But there are points, there are there are things that are cl more clear than other things. You know what I mean? Just kind of drop a little bit here, a little bit there, once in a while, and get them thinking. Asher says they believe in it as a compliment in the scripture, but not useful. <sighs> what I would say, if I was if I was talking to them, I would say, uh, even Martin Luther. The father of the Protestants, the father of the Protestant Church, Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, the leader of the of the, the Protestant Reformation, he said that you should read the Apocrypha. He didn't. He said the Apocrypha is not like right up there with like, with the rest of Scripture, but he said you should read it. You should, you know, it is profitable and it is useful for historical, at least historical um, purposes. That's what that's what Martin Luther said. I believe it's useful for a lot more than that. But uh, but consider the fact that Martin Luther said that. But this is the same man, the father of the Protestants, who said, "Throw out the Book of James." He actually said the book of James is a is a is a book of is a is a book of straw. Burn it. It's a gospel of straw. It's an epistle of straw. Excuse me. It's an epistle of straw. Burn it. 
Why do you say that? Because it goes against everything he teaches. He, he didn't believe in Hebrews either. Revelation, many of the other, um, or several, at least several of the other books of the New Testament, Martin Luther said they're not scripture. He actually put more value on the Apocrypha than he did uh, many books of the, of the New Testament. Oh, yeah. Will on, on YouTube says, um, I'll take most of the Apocrypha over Paul's letters. Amen to that. Absolutely. 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 Uh, I would, I, I say, I'm, I'm right there with Will on that one. I would definitely take the Apocrypha over Paul's letters any day. I, Paul's letters, I think, I, I think, I, honestly, I'm not. I am not exact. I'm not just saying this. I've I've actually said this for a while. I believe Paul's letters should be in the New Testament Apocrypha, just because they're so. <laughs> you need to know what you know your stuff when you're reading Paul's letters, or else you're going to end up like the church is today. Let uh, me just say so. But, but it, it, if there's anything in in Second Edus clear. In 2nd Esdras, it says, you know, there are basically two um, categories of scripture. There, there's the, the, the scripture for the, for the public, you know, for the common man, so to speak, and that is uh, the Tanakh, or, you know, the, what it's called the Old Testament. Um, so we have those books. Then he said, then he said there are the script, the books that are, that are to be kept hidden. Why were they supposed to be kept hidden? Because they're so, so rich, they'll just cause the babies to throw up. <laughs> they'll just cause the babies to spit up. Uh, you know, I mean, why feed babies? Uh, you know, you know, uh, uh, steak. You know, why why feed babies steak? You know, steak with uh, sautéed mushrooms. You know, they'll, they'll just they can't take it. They can't handle it. And that's the way it is with the apocrypha. It's supposed to be hidden. Not, the, the word apocrypha means hidden because it was supposed to be hidden away from the common man it, only for the spiritually advanced, the wise to read because the, the idea was only wise, the wise could actually understand and, and interpret it correctly. So, Asher says, I don't think they even, they don't, they don't know who Martin Luther is. They are, they are op apostolic from Mexico. Hmm. Well, you know, if they're very, if they're serious about their faith and if they're serious about the church, I think they should be reading up and uh, learning church history and much more than that. <laughs> a, little, a little bit more than that, anyway. Um, very confident over there on you said to Will, excellent point. Yeah, absolutely. That's an excellent point for sure. Paul's letters should be in the apocrypha of uh of the New Testament. I I I do believe that. I believe Paul's letter I I honestly I would take the gospel of I would take a lot of the so-called old New Testament apocrypha, like Didache, Shepherd of Her. Hermes, I would take all these ones 
way over Paul's letters. I would probably let me think. I have to think of it. There are Yeah. Old Testament Apocrypha for sure. Quote unquote Old Testament Apocrypha. Tanakh. Someone asked how war in Ukraine end? I, I don't know. Hawks asked the question, so should Paul's books be in the Bible or no? Um, it's That's a big question because, I mean, the Bible is not biblical. Bible canon is I personally believe that, I mean, I'm not saying the Bible's wrong. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the books of the Bible are awesome. I believe each book for what it, what it is. Uh, and I, you know, I believe... I believe each book of the Bible probably more, much more than my Protestant peers do, even though they claim to be wholehearted, whole Bible believers. Uh, I think I probably believe it more than they do. But if you study Bible canons and how, how they came about, and, and, in facts that there are at least, and I say at least because I'm, I'm serious, there are 12 different Bible canons from 12 different churches. And I'm not talking about cults. I'm not talking about things like Jehovah's Witnesses or anything like this. I'm talking about Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox churches. Okay? Um, so there, there are 12 different Bible canons, and I'm not talking about Bible versions either. So when you get that, when you understand that, uh, I don't think it's really, a, the only thing good about having a Bible is it's just convenient to have it all in one book. But other than that, there's nothing really good about it. I think it's a lot better to, to have the books of the Bible, the book separately, to separate them. We got the Torah over here. We got Isaiah over there. We got Jeremiah over there. We got Micah over here. We got the Gospels over here. We got James over there. We got Paul. Well, I don't know where to put Paul. <laughs> we'll put him somewhere anyway. But you know what I mean? Like, that's what I think which is, should be done. That's actually biblical. Luke chapter 4, they gave the scroll of Isaiah to Jesus, not the Bible. And Jesus had no problem with it. He didn't say, oh, God, you, you, why do, why do you have Isaiah out of the Bible? You need to put it in the Bible because we need to have 66-book Bible. He didn't say that. Never did. Never, ever did. Why? Because that's not what he wants. He wants his people. God wants his people to be... They use their to read. Yeshua said many times, right? Have you not read? Don't you know? Have you not read? Have you not? He wants he wants us to to study for ourselves, to read for ourselves, to for ourselves, and not rely on some obscure, uh, abstract, unknown, anonymous string of church leaders who somehow came up with 66 or 71 or 81 books whatever your whatever your canon is i think we need to read every book separately right i got one book separately here here's uh the book of jubilee 
Jubilees. By the way, this book is in the Ethiopian Book of Jubilees. Awesome book. So if we, if we read each book of the Bible for what it really is, separately, individual, look at it as an individual book, not as, as in, this is Matthew and John, for example. If, if Christians, and you know, I guarantee you, probably almost 100%, almost 100% of all Christians, even though they understand it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, still they don't really distinguish. They don't really look at them as individual books. They look at them as a team. Or they look at it as one book, just with like four different parts of one book. Really should just look, they, they should read Matthew and say, this is what Matthew, this is, this is Matthew and Matthew alone. Go to Luke, this is Luke. When you get to Paul and you read it as, this is Paul and Paul alone, then you understand it, then you see it in, in, in a different light. Then it's like, it's not like, because the, the, the big, the real, the biggest problem in the Bible canon and how people idolize it and make it, they worship the Bible canon. I think that God is the Bible canon more than even himself sometimes. It's like the Bible canon is their, is number one. Then Paul is their number two God. Then maybe Jesus is their number three God. And that's at it. I know they don't say that, but that's how they behave. That's how, that's what their actions tell me. They're asking me that their Bible canon is their first idol. And because Paul is in their Bible canon, then Paul is their second idol. Jesus, well, Jesus, well, he's, uh, you know, because Paul didn't say much about him, really, other than talk death and his resurrection, didn't really say much of anything about his birth or his miracles or anything that he taught, really nothing. Uh, he didn't know anything about it, actually. So how, how could he teach it? Well, he might have known a little bit, but not much, or else he would have put it in his letters. So, I mean, to look at it like that, I mean, it really helps you to understand the way things really were and the way things really are. Good question, by the way. Hawks, 1248. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm just reading some of the comments over there on YouTube. Will says the epistles of Clement should also be in the Bible. Well, yeah. I mean, if we if we have a Bible, yeah, I, I would take the epistles of Clement over, especially second Clement, that's for sure. Vita, you you really that, uh, truth. I mean, that is the truth. A lot of people do not know that. And I don't even know if I want to say the name there, uh, but, but uh, because of uh, different, uh, who knows what these, because I'm, I'm streaming on so many different platforms here. I want to make sure you guys are able to watch this tomorrow. I mean, that government of Germany in the mid 20th century, they said that they're, they're their spiritual leader is Luther, is Martin Luther. And you read some of the things that Martin Luther said, not this actually, and you some of the things that Martin Luther said about the Jewish 
Jewish people, it is absolutely shocking. It doesn't, but I mean, it doesn't really, it, it's shocking, but it doesn't really surprise because antinomianism and antisemitism go hand in hand. When you got someone who is against the Torah, it's a it's like a kindred spirit to antisemitism. Very good, Vita. Very good, Sergeant. Brother says, uh, "Where can I get a good copy of Apocrypha?" Well, um. Will, you might have a, a recommendation. I, you know, I, I really online you can look up things like um, say uh, Christian early Christian writings or, or sacred dash texts. Um, let me see if I can pull it up. There's a lot of different apocryphal books online like that. Now, to get it in print, you can probably get each every one of them. Separately, um, on in in the or, or any other um, outlet like that. Um, let me just have a look here. Yeah, like early Christian writings, earlyjewishwritings.com. They have there's a lot of stuff like that on there. Um, as far as a Bible. Online Bible. Now, this Bible, a lot of people don't know about this Bible. I'll show you guys. Um, this is this is a Bible, one of the only Bibles I know of that has actually four Maccabees in it. Because I think like the Roman Catholics have like one and two Maccabees, but the Orthodox they would have three Maccabees, and it's hard to find four Maccabees, but. This particular website here, ebuy.org, go down. Um, it's, it's a lot of good resources here, actually. Um, but you go down to World English Bible. I click on that, and so you got like all in the green here. This is like the, the like the Tanakh, the the Old Testament, um, and then under that is like the brown brownish kind of color here this is the apocrypha tobit tobit by the way oh you gotta you gotta read tobit you guys if you've never read tobit read tobit it's an excellent excellent book tobit judith the greek esther by the way we got um until about mid-july uh because let me tell you guys i spoke to onia yesterday I spoke to Onia, and uh, he is working on a, an amazing project, an amazing project of the Book of Esther. Uh, it, it, it took a long time what he's got so far, and it's going to take until at least mid-July for him, him to finish. And I mean, uh, it happens to be that it won't be, a, it won't be until about mid-July by the time around to reading the Book of Esther in our chronological Bible reading um, uh, live streams. So, um, Lord willing, when I get to the book of Esther, uh, I will read the regular, what I would call the regular Mesoretic text of uh, 
translation from the Masoretic text, the Hebrew Esther. Read the Greek Esther. The Greek Esther is quite a bit different. There's, there's a lot of different uh, editions. But Onia, Lord willing, he will come on here and he has got a wealth of information on not just the book of Esther, the other books as well. He, like he takes from like the uh, different, uh, he takes the Masoretic text, of course, the Septuagint, uh, uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, some of the Peshers um, of these books as well. And he's got them all lined up. He was, uh, you know, he was showing me there the other day. He's lined up line by line, line by line. Uh, he will, uh, Lord willing, when we get to Esther, he'll, uh, he will share with us uh, some of what he's got there. And I tell you, you guys will be amazed. And also, you guys will be, talk about this. You guys will be amazed at the differences between these texts, between these manuscripts. Some of these differences are absolutely mind-blowing, I'm telling you. I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, so we got Esther. This is um, part of the Apocrypha being the Greek edition. Wisdom of Solomon. Syriac, what I was mentioning earlier. Baruch. Awesome, by the way. Baruch um, has got some other... Um, it's not here, but second Baruch is awesome. Apocrypha Baruch. So we got first Maccabees, second Maccabees, first Ezra's prayer of Manasseh, uh, Maccabees, Maccabees, and the book of Daniel in Greek. And I, the book of Daniel is like that too. I mean, these books are absolutely phenomenal, guys. These books are phenomenal. Oh, I can't tell you enough. I mean, read Second Ezra. If, you, if you've never read it before, read it. I have an audio book form of it. I'm, I read it. I don't, I don't comment on it or anything like that. Just, just a straight out read of Second uh, If you want to listen to it you can go go there and check it out there but if not read second answer is actually on youtube i this particular translation that i read from because there are this is the one that i read from not that it's the best but this is from mainly because it has no copyright on it basically awesome fact means awesome awesome daniel the greek daniel is all so awesome. There's so much more in there is in the Hebrew of the uh, book of Daniel. Uh, it's just absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely awesome. Susanna, Bell and the Dragon. Oh, just uh, primo, primo. Good stuff. Awesome. Um, when it comes to the uh, hard copy, now I know some of you may not Take it for what it is, uh, and I have, I have recommended this book before in the past. And I understand, yes, it is, you know, it, it is what it is, but it does have some interesting books in it, including some of these ones that I just mentioned. Not all of them, but some of these ones. It has more than the Roman Catholic Apocrypha, and that is a book called the Orthodox Study Bible. The Orthodox Study Bible has the Apocrypha, and then some in it, okay? It has like, I guess I would, 
I would call it like the extended apocrypha. It's not quite as extended as as what you see on ebible.org, but it has the extended. Actually, let me give you a story. Uh, this true story. Uh, how many years ago? I don't know, ten years ago or so, when I was really searching out like uh, the Ethiopian Bible because again, the Ethiopian Bible is is awesome as well because it has um, it has any one books in it, any one. 81 books in it. It's an amazing, um, an amazing amount of, of books. And it has the book of Enoch and it. it has the Jubilees in it, right? So these kind of things, any other books like that. Um, and so what I did was I managed to get a hold of Ethiopian um, priest. Minute, like one of, one of the one of the actually what I did was I sent uh, um, an email to one of the top Ethiopian Orthodox websites. I think it's I think that's what it was. I think excuse me I think that's what it was like EthiopianOrthodox.org or something like that. I sent an email asking for someone to leap, to point me in the right way to get a copy of the Ethiopian Bible, and so this priest got got back to me and he said, you know, unfortunately the Ethiopian bull in its full, full form is not available. I mean, I, I suppose when it says Apocrypha, they take it literally and they hide it. They don't want everybody, they don't want just anybody to see it. They, they really keep it under, you know, they keep it hidden. But he said, he said the, the Ethiopian Bible in its full form available, but he said, the closest you can get to it is the Orthodox Study Bible. That's what he told me. He said the, the closest thing you can get to it right now is the is the Orthodox Study Bible, and that's the first time I actually heard of it. And I, I ordered it right away as soon as he as soon as he recommended it. Um, it is Orthodox, so keep that in mind. I mean, it does have the Orthodox things in it. Um, but uh, it has books in it that is, uh, it has more books than the Roman Catholic Bible has. Uh, and so it's, it, it is, uh, I think it's worth, it's worth um, having that in your library for sure. Thank you very much, Sergeant, Sergeant R. One John, sorry, I didn't get to earlier. I saw a recent near-death experience where the guy said that hell was full of Christians and their pastors. You know, I I, I keep on seeing that as well, um, and it, it is it is um, alarming. But I've been I've been hearing that kind of thing for many years. People who have flatlined have been pronounced dead, clinically dead. And, and and they come back to talk about a call that they pastors um, that are there. Yeah. In fact, you know what? Let me just say this. This was there's a there there's a pastor that I was speaking to on the phone several months ago. Uh, from California, and um, and he said that he used to teach in a Bible school, 
and God gave him, he said he went to hell. Now, it's, it's, it's unclear exactly how that happened, whether it was a near-death experience or a vision or whatever happened. Um, it's unclear exactly how that happened. But he said that he went to hell, and he said he saw his former students there. And they told him there, that they were there because of his teaching. And he changed, obviously. <laughs> I mean, you know, at least I hope he did, but he did. He said he changed his teaching because um, he was a once saved, always saved kind of guy. And he changed quite a bit. Perhaps not as much as, you know, as, as much as he's not like fully full on but he he changed like to repent you need to do this he's 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 uh amazing um testimony that he has and an amazing experience that he has and you know praise god for what god did in his life and how god showed him uh the truth One John says, I was watching a minister today who said that no one told the ancients to gather or their scrolls and staple them together. There is no holy stapler. Yeah, um, sounds like that minister is, is uh, seeing things that a lot of ministers don't see. No holy stapler, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's so important to 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 look at the books as individual books. Like again, you got the Book of Jubilees here, but I keep on saying I do have a lot of Bibles around. All right, so I'm not saying the Bibles are wrong, but I'm just saying it it really is misleading. The Bible canon is misleading. It's misleading to put you know to have a certain set library and put the put all the books in one what i mean by library is the bible itself is a library it's like a 66 book library or whatever if you're a roman catholic or orthodox you have more than 66 books whatever the case is it's a library and so i think people should look at it not just as one book appropriate says have you read the Targum of jonathan I have read many parts of it. I, I cannot say I have I've read all of it, but I yeah I am I am familiar with uh, with with it. Uh, it confirms what you're saying about the law being there from the beginning. Yes, and there was something. What was we reading as well? Um, the legends of the Jews as well. Legends of the Jews, um, but the, the legends of the Jews actually is a, is a compilation of. Of different sources like like the Apocrypha and like the Targ Targum of Jonathan as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of different sources that that also say that the law was there from the very beginning. I do believe that. I believe that even if it wasn't written down, these patriarchs knew it. They knew it, even if it wasn't written down. Maybe it was written down, but 
nevertheless, they, they knew it. At least they knew what applied to them anyway. Okay, so we'll give a recommendation here. The, the Apostolic Fathers, Rick Brannon translation is a good translation. Apocrypha, also the Encyclopedia in Reducted Scriptures by Joseph Lumpkin. Yeah, actually, the book, the book I got right here is from Joseph Lumpkin, right? So, um, great, comp great compilation, yep. Yeah. Yeah, the Sefer as well. The Sefer has 21 books of the Apocrypha. Yeah. Perfectly Confident says, Esther is amazing and God is not mentioned in the entire book, which is an incredible statement to the power, to his power and his people. Her bravery is amazing. Yeah. That's amazing for sure. When John said the Sefer is so expensive, I hear that there are problems with it. I don't remember offhand what the problems were. Um, yeah, again, several years ago, I I ordered a special copy of this the sefer i actually in uh, um i the entire i actually i traveled a, I, I actually had to travel a good i had to make a good trip to get it um because it wasn't it wasn't available uh to be delivered where i where i live so i traveled to get it and I got it, and I was so incredibly excited to get it, reading it, and um, I read through it, uh, read through every single word of it, um, and um, actually, I just spoke to someone a couple of days ago about the, the Sefer, and this particular person told me about something else that he knew about the Sefer that was... <sighs> See what people need to understand about the sefer. Uh, he, like this guy, this other guy, told me something else that I never, I never caught. Like for example, the sefer changed the dates on some things that's not in the original manuscripts. Okay, like they, the the sefer. <laughs> there are some things I love about it. Okay, let me tell you what I love about it. It does not differentiate between Old Testament and New Testament. It does not have, you know, Genesis to Malachi as Old Testament and, Ma and Matthew to Revelation as New Testament. And I love that. I don't think, I think that it's, it's an absolute tragedy that Bibles today have Old Testament and New Testament. And there should be, it should not be divided like that. And then we have people saying, you shall rightly divide the word of God. Um, no. When Paul said that to Timothy, he used a Greek word that meant cut straight. He said, "When let me just let me just uh, I need to bring this up because because if you guys have never heard someone use this, <laughs> you will you will sooner or later." Okay. 
this is Paul speaking to Timothy. He said, study to prove unto God, a workman that is that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So this word rightly dividing in the original language literally means, literally means to cut straight. Cut straight. Okay. Now, now I do not believe it means. I do not believe it's to it's to be taken literally. Said to Timothy, straight the word of God, the word of truth. Okay, I think what it means it's the same kind of figure of speech that we use today when we say shoot straight, shoot straight. You know, shoot from the hip, shoot straight. So. What Paul was saying to Tis, when you preach, Timothy, shoot straight. Shoot straight. Tell the truth. That's what he was saying. It, wasn't, it had nothing to do with cutting. It had nothing to do with dividing. It's, Paul did not, I don't think that Paul told Timothy to take a machete out and start butchering the word of God. That is an abomination. We're not supposed to be chopping up the Word of God. The Word of God is a whole thing. God is not divided. His Word is not divided. He's not a schizo. He doesn't have like a million different personalities with word, different words that are contradictory to each other. That's, that's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. This term, rightly dividing in the, in the King James, is an old, first of all, it's it's a translation. Second of all, it's an old English expression. It's an old it's 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 out it's far outdated, antiquated. It should literally say, okay, now if we go if we if we put this in today's language, 2 Timothy 2:15, Paul would say to Timothy, Study to show yourself approved to God so that you don't have to be ashamed and shoot straight. Preach the truth. Okay? Just shoot, shoot straight. Preach the truth. That's basically what means. Basically, just tell the truth tell it the way it is. Don't, don't mince it. Tell it, you know, that's what it, it has nothing. Nothing to do with dividing the word. You don't divide. You don't divide the word any more than you take a machete to Jesus and divide him up. He's the word. You don't do that. A lot of people get that completely wrong, and they use that one little, that one little micro phrase within one verse of the entire Bible to completely destroy the rest of the Bible. Oh yeah, we got to divide it all up. We'll, we'll take Paul and we'll divide everything else up and we'll throw everything else out. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll cut that out. We'll cut this out. We'll, we'll 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 make our little idol here. Why? Because it says to rightly divide the word of God. No, 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 man. It's like, don't you understand what Paul's saying? He's just saying, just he's just telling Timothy to shoot straight. That's all. Just tell the truth. Shoot straight. That's it. Period. That's all. That's all that means. So 
the Sefer, I went to, I, I went, went through some pretty good effort traveling to get my copy of, of the Sefer. And so I did. I was so I was so excited. Rhett, I opened it up through it. What people need to understand is this: the Sefer is not a translation. Now I know this word it has a negative connotation behind it, but please, this is the only word I can use that I know of that would add that that adequately describes what the Sefer is, because the Sefer is not a translation. The Sefer is a manipulation. Let me explain. Most of the Sefer is just the King James Version with the, with the names changed. Some of the things have changed here and there. They took the names and they transliterated the names, which I think that's another good positive thing about it. it I mean, you read it and you, if you know how to uh, de decipher their, the way um, Dr. Pigeon um, transliterated with the different fanatical pronunciations like for example uh i y is translate is is um uh pronounced as e um so, uh, things like that I, I i would spell the names differently but i mean I did a, it's good that part of it's really good the part of that there's it that there's um the old testament new testament is not different it's not divided, divided, rightly divided. <laughs> it's not divided. Um, that's awesome. That's good. Um, it has it has the Book of Enoch in it, the Book of Jubilees, and many other uh, books of the Apocrypha in it. That's awesome. However, to understand that the way the what it is, it's not a translation. The publisher took another translation and just changed some of the words and added other words. And this is where I get. Uh, I have had. I got to be very careful what I say. Put it this way. I know a lot more than I've ever said about about things, about that whole the, that whole thing. But I just want to. I just want I just want to be careful here. Um, like for example, just for example, you go to Jubilees chapter one, verse one in this book. Okay. And it says, oh, God spoke to Moses saying, Come up to me on the mountain, and I will give you two tablets of stone, of the law, and the commandment. Okay, good. I will give you two tablets of stone. In the, in the Sefer, it says, I will give you two sapphire stones. And that stuck out to me. I'm thinking, okay, that's awesome. Sounds good. Sounds awesome. But where did you get that from? Is that true to the original? Is that a real translation or is it a, is it did, did he add things in there that that, that that the original does not actually have i went on a quest to try to find out i i looked up 
all of the different, not, maybe not all, okay, I can't say that I know all of the different translations, but I, I went from translation to translation, and I even went into the Ethiopian Orthodox website to look at the original as manuscript. And I cannot find, and I went to the Sefer preface, and I read through the preface. And you know how the, you know, any other Bible, especially a translation, they would tell you, like how even Joseph Lumpkin tells you things when he does it when 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 he does um, a translation, he would even tell you about certain words that he, you know, say for example, if there's something that you know says this and it says this in original, no, but I couldn't I couldn't translate this perfectly, so I chose a different word. They, they explain things, and that's fine. You, you, you explain things. You explain. Why you put a word in there that's not exactly you know? You explain why? Maybe because the original you translate it literally. I get it. It's fine. That's awesome. But the Sefer has no explanation for these things, and that's not the only time. There's other things too in the Sefer that I ran, I ran across. I thought, wow, well, I've never saw before. Let me check it out in the in the in the Hebrew, and it's not there. I'm thinking, well, maybe there's another Hebrew, maybe the Samaritan, or maybe there's a Greek manuscript. What? What's up? So it's not a translation. What it is, is they have changed words and added words that are not there in the original manuscripts, as far as I can tell. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, uh, what can I say? If I if I read a Bible, I want to, if, if the Bible publisher changes or adds a word that's not in the original, I want to know. Like when I'm, when I'm reading this, right, it's got the italics, and that's to tell me that's added in the original, right? So that's that's cool. They 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 show you know the Bible publishers uh, of uh, you know of this particular work here shows you the the words that they add. Normally, these words are words that you know that is assumed anyway. Like men, right? Be gentle unto all. Wow, they put men. The men is not in the original, and we know that because it's it's shown here to be not in the original, and that's that's cool because at least it's shown. But something like sapphire stones in Jubilees chapter one verse one is not shown, nor is it explained, nor is nor are there any footnotes to to explain why they slipped sapphire in there. Why they took the word tablets out of there and put sapphire in there? I mean, it sounds cool, but and please understand, for those of you who please understand, um, that is not the only example. There's been time, like I said, this guy that I was I was speaking to someone there a few days ago, and he said, "Oh yeah, I heard that there were there were um, like bad." thing translation or whatever in, in the sephira and i explained what i said he said oh no that's not the, that's not what it was he said there was actually dates that have been changed in, in the sephira that is not in the original 
Like the original might say the 14th and the Sefer might say the 15th or the, or vice versa or 15th versus 18th or something like that's changed with, again, without any explanation, without any good explanation at all. It's like, if I'm reading a Bible, I mean, just personally, just personally, if I'm reading a Bible and there is a, or a change or an addition that accurately reflect the manuscript that they're using to translate from, I want to know about it. I want to see a, 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 a footnote or maybe, you know, the translator's preface where it explains everything like how Joseph Lumpkin does. You know, he does a good job of explaining all these different things and why he translates stuff like that. Um, but nothing. So, yes, you got to be aware that there are problems with it. You got to be aware. Um, so it's good. It's awesome. I mean, it's it's a good work in the sense that I mean, you got, it's it's the biggest. I think it's like the biggest Bible, and it's got the most books. I think it's the most books in in any Bible in the world. Perhaps with like I forget if it's the I forget how that appear, how that compares to the Ethiopian. I know they don't have the exact books of the Ethiopian in there. I know they don't, um, but nevertheless. Um, that's my that's my honest review uh, of the of the sefer. Will Senior says Shalon, just getting off work, enjoying my drive home, listening. Well, welcome and Shalom. Good to see you. Will says fascinating topic and will from sheepdog ministry says enoch jubilees and Asher also proved the law existed well before it was given to moses i just did a video about it wow awesome awesome yeah um yeah true absolutely true and those books Enoch, Jubilees, and Jasher. Again, these books need to be read by you know anybody who is a serious student of the scripture should actually know these books really well. Um, I know that Jubilees and Jasher do contradict on a few points. Um, and because and because of that, I you know, someone like Onia, he doesn't he doesn't like Jasher. He doesn't like Jasher. I I I I like Jasher. Just be, uh, you know, Onia doesn't like it. Uh, like uh, Onia, if you're listening, forgive me if I'm not. I think I I think I know exactly where you're coming from. Um, he doesn't like Jasher because it contradicts with Jubilees on a few points, and there may be more. I'm not sure how many. I, I'm aware of a couple points. It might be more than that. Um, but. I do believe that the Jasher, you know, Jasher is is legit, um, and even though it does contradict the Jubilees, I, I would still read it and study it, and I do believe it's full of good truths in there as well. Um, just like how, like how we did, we talked about on Sunday, where it's like Mark contradicts a lot with Mark contradicts with Luke and contradicts with Matthew. With I mean, I know people explain everything. Thing away, you can you can pretty much explain everything away. I mean, if you really want to be, you want to look at the honest point of view, then 
you got to be honest about it. Um, you know, I mean, like if Luke, for example, that, which it does, that says that the disciples stayed in Jerusalem from the time of Jesus' ascension till the, to the book of Acts, they stayed there. Whereas Matthew says they went to Galilee. And that's a clear contradiction. That's another contradiction that I didn't cover on Sunday. I, I didn't, there's a lot of different contradictions that I didn't cover. Just kind of whet your appetite on it. But when you have Luke that says something like that, again, there's, there's uh, I don't know how many, I haven't counted, probably dozens of contradictions between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. My point is this, just because there are contradictions between Jubilees and Jasher doesn't mean you throw one of, the, one of them out or both of them out. You know, keep them both. It just, you know, just be aware of it. But uh, just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, definitely keep them. But um, just be aware that there are, they're not as, if people looked at it as they really are, if they looked at it as separate books, like how I got the book of Jubilees, like right here, and I do have the book of Jasher as well, separately. Uh, then it's not so difficult. Yeah, you know what? There, there's a few contradictions in here. I mean, in one of them, it says that Cain was killed by a stone. In the other one, it says that Cain was killed by an instrument. So, um, yeah, that's a contradiction. But is that a bit? Is that something to to throw out a book about? No. Is that something that would completely, you know, dis, discredit the entire book? No. It's just that it's just a contradiction. That's all. Will says, I enjoy the ISR version. Yes, I haven't uh, gotten into that version much yet, but I, yeah, it's, it sounds very, very interesting for sure. Sounds like a good one. The Great Deception says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Great Deception. Good to see you. <laughs> Doesn't, yeah. One John says the, the dispensationalists use the rightly divided to prove their, their theory. It is a problem. And I, I, it's a huge, huge fallacy. Most Christians commit this fallacy. And that is, they take one little, like this, like rightly divided. They take one little verse here or one little verse there. They, they, Sometimes it's like this. It's like only one little phrase of one sentence within one verse, and they make a complete total doctrine of it. It's like they make a whole doctrine out of just two words. That is just, that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. If you read the Bible from front to back, and you read it multiple times, you will find that there is a common thread, there's a, there's a common theme throughout all the books, virtually speaking. You know, perhaps with, there might be a couple short books or, you know, there might be a couple that doesn't really explicitly say this, but you know what I mean? For the most part, it's a, it, it is a, it's a, it is, it's a song that's sung throughout the Bible. It's you hear the drum beat of it throughout the whole Bible, pretty much. And that is repentance and obedience. Repentance and obedience is throughout the whole Bible. And so I think it's very clear. This is this is a you know, repentance and obedience is a primary 
um, it's, it's a primary focus of God. He makes it a major part of, of the scriptures. And so we should make a major part of it. Now, I don't think we should take a minor little thing, one verse, you know, even if it's just like three verses, one verse here, one verse there, and one verse there, and, and string it all together and then make a doctrine of it. It's almost like the, um, the doctrine that um, back in 1988, that, that the, the world would end in 1988 or the rapture would happen in 1988. Again, it's the same thing. They took one little thing, oh, a generation is 40 years. Oh, okay. And Jesus said that in the generation that Israel would, would become a nation, uh, would, when, when the, when the uh, fig tree, but, oh, the fig tree is Israel. Oh, yeah, we take, so we take one verse here, one verse there, one verse there, and we string it all together and make a doctrine of it. So Israel became a nation in 1948. Therefore, 40 years after that is 1988. Therefore, the world is going to end in 1988. That's, you know, and so they make, they make a doctrine out of it. God doesn't act like, God doesn't work that, that way. If he wants you to know something, God will tell, tell it to you plainly. He won't talk like the the major important things that God wants you to know will be will be shown to you plainly, not cryptically. He won't just put two words in there, like rightly divided, out of the whole entire Bible, out of fifteen hundred years of scriptures. Put two words in there and, and expect you to make a whole doctrine of it. If he wanted you to make a big doctrine of it, he would have it in every book. It's like as a parent, if you if a parent wants their child to know something. And it's very important. That parent will tell the child plainly. The parent will not send some cryptic message over a course of 1,500 years and expect that child to somehow pick out one word here and one sentence there and another sentence over there and string it all together and get a, a very important message out of it. No, only manipulators would do that. Only people who would twist the scriptures and make the scriptures say whatever they think they want the scriptures to say. So that's the thing, right? I mean, yeah, dispensationalists use rightly divided to prove their theory. Meanwhile, it doesn't even mean that, right? It doesn't mean about dividing at all. It has nothing to do with dividing. It has everything to do with just shooting straight. It's a figure of speech, I believe. Like how today we say, shoot from the hip. Now, hey, or, you know, like, <laughs> you know, shoot it straight. Shoot straight, man. Tell the truth. Now, like, you know, a thousand years from now, if the world's still around, someone can find a letter where one of us says, you know, says to somebody, shoot straight. And they'll say, oh, look at that. That means we should, we should shoot. That means, what are they talking about? Shoot what? What kind of projectiles? No, it's a figure of speech. Shoot straight. It's a figure of speech in the Greek that was poorly translated into an archaic English and interpreted poorly from modern day Christians today. And we are talking about different Bibles. 
you know what? Let me just say this too as well. No Bible, there is no Bible that's that's um that's a perfect Bible. No Bible that is a perfect Bible. So I get that question a lot, actually. Like, what is the best translation? What Bible is the perfect Bible? They don't, actually, they don't ask that that way. But what Bible do you translation do you recommend? Well, I, I recommend I recommend comparing many of them. That's what I you know take some of the main translations, compare them. Take good old King Jimmy is 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 as much as good old King Jimmy is long gone. I mean, I mean, he's still useful for for things. I I know one John there said the other night it was it's useful for the Strong's concordance, and that's true. Many different translations are. It's good to to uh, compare many different translations. It's like it's like you know how it says in the scripture that success comes from a multitude of counselors. It's like each translation is like a different counselor. Because if it's a, if it's a translation, if it's if it really is a true, you know, the, the publishers or the translators to translate from the original manuscripts to the best of their ability to be as accurate as possible. If it is a true translation, then you then doing is you're actually compare if you're comparing translations, you are are comparing what others believe to be the accurate translation of the of the original, and I think it's good to put a whole bunch of it's like it's like a it's like a group of counselors having many counselors and and uh, asking them about a certain thing. Many counselors will bring you success. And you know, some counselors contradict the other counselors. So it's, that's you. You always get that. Yeah, uh, Will says the Masoretic timeline differs by six hundred fifty years from the Septuagint, Josephus, and the Samaritan. The beginning ages are way off in the in, in the Masoretic text. Yes, it's amazing. Actually, um, a couple months ago. Uh, Onia was uh, was on, and he went through that. He went through the uh, Samaritan, the Septuagint, um, Mesoamerican, and and yeah, it's amazing how much I think. I'm trying to think what what he presented. I can't remember the actual number, but yeah, it's I think it might even be more than 650 years. But yeah, it, it, it's quite a bit different for sure. Quite a bit different. Yeah, the Great Deception uh, says it is an opinion from Exodus twenty-four that God's throne is sapphire and the represent the foundation of Yahuwah, which are His commands. Yeah, yeah, it, it's cool. I mean, to me, my again, this is my opinion. It is it's cool if it, if if a uh, Bible wants to put in there, you know, every time it says. Tablets, uh, stone tablets. If they put sapphire stone, <laughs> well, it's cool if they explain. Okay, it really says tablets of uh, you know uh, 
stone tablets. That's what it really says. But we put that in there because we think that's what it is. But the, 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 the original manuscripts do not say that. Not one of them says that. Um, that's just what we think what it should be in there. <laughs> if they say that, that's cool. At least they, they're, you know, they say that, maybe in a footnote like that. The Great Deception says, are you aware of the type of stone the commands were written on? I don't know if anybody's really aware of that. Uh, I know I've heard uh, from one of, I uh, heard a video of one of the uh, tongues of Ethiopia. Again, I, I think there's a lot of evidence that uh, the Ark of the Covenant is in Ethiopia. And if that's the truth, he did explain the look of the uh, tablets of stone. Um, and uh, I mean, he, he explained it as, he said they're square tablets, uh, not the arched tablets like how you see in the movies or in, in some of the uh, depictions and drawings. Um, so I think that's very, very possible that they are square um, of stone. I don't know if anybody could say anything more than that. Um, about what they are, but again, the the bottom line is this: What is if you're printing? I mean, if I if I print jubilees, and if I slip something in there, if I put something in there that's not in any other Bible, any other translation of the Book of Jubilees, or in the original Ge'ez, I think I owe it to the reader to explain that, yes, I changed it. I changed tablets to Sapphire or whatever. Uh, I, I owe it to the, uh, to the reader. This is what I've changed or this, there, there are no, there are no manuscripts or translations anywhere in the world. This is up because I believe this is what it is. I'm putting it in there, is what I mean. Um, if that's what they put down there, then okay. I mean, to me, it's like okay. So you're 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 uh, uh, you're, you're clear about it. Someone asked me, "Do you believe the rapture is a big deception?" As it is taught at like pre-trib rapture, yeah, definitely. Someone says the righteousness of God is different than the righteousness of people. I think I know what you're getting at, you know, and this is what people do too. Like you say, oh, it says here that no one's righteous, but it says over there that there's, it says hundreds of times of people was talking about different kinds of righteousness. You, you, you can twist it and turn it and explain it away as much as possible. This, the Bible, the scriptures, God, never, ever would encourage people to go on their own perception of righteousness. Never does, never has. Okay. Okay. That's what they curve man. When you, you are, if, when you are concerned about what is right or wrong in other people's eyes, man, the Bible God, the scriptures, do not vote that at all. In the, I mean, what I mean, excuse me, what I mean by that is they do not, God does not 
promote or teach anybody to be concerned of things. Here's something I've been thinking about. Here's something I've been thinking about. It, 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 this is, this is um, you want to know what's really fresh on my mind recently? That is this. If it is not stated plainly, especially when it comes to the scriptures, if it's not stated plainly, if you have a concept or a, a principle, a precept, whatever, if it's not clearly laid out, it's not accurate. Uh, What I mean is this. Because again, you got people who try to to uh, decrypt things in the Bible. Like, well, it says a little bit over here. It says a little bit over there. It says a little bit over here. Say, oh, look at it. You put it all together and this is what we get. We get a, we get a, we get a, a new doctrine. Excuse me. We get a new doctrine. So it's like, if God wants you to know something, and if it's important, he'll show it to you plainly. At least he'll show you in a way that's not like, you don't have to be playing word games. You don't have to be playing like word puzzles to try to figure it out. What we read in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation and then some is we read that repentance and obedience is the main theme. That's the main theme throughout the whole, throughout all, all scriptures. Repentance and obedience. That's clear. When we, when you got people start, when you got people, you know, talking about, um, and we mentioned about dispensationalism and, uh, you know, all these other things and coming up with all these different dates like 1988 and all these different doctrines and, and just, there's like a plethora, there's a plethora of all these, it's a myriad of different, um, false teachings of things that people come up with. Oh, look at over here. There's there's a verse. Oh, look at over there. There's a verse. Oh, there's a, there's a thing over there. It if God wants to speak to you, He'll speak. He'll show it to you clearly. And we we don't need to twist anything or bend anything, make it to make it make sense. If it's not clear, it's not accurate. If you're taking a reading with a meter and the meter doesn't show you a clear reading, it's not, it's not an accurate meter. If you're taking the temper, if you're taking your temperature and the thermometer doesn't show, doesn't give you a clear reading, it's not an accurate thermometer. Okay, let's get to the rest of your comments here. We got a couple, couple Psalms. Psalm 106, Psalm 106, 
For some reason, this is pretty slow. I'm not sure why. Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy is everlasting. You guys, you guys know what I'm thinking, right? Because I keep on saying this. We get this, we get this, this, talk about phrase. We get this phrase in many places. We get this, we get this thing, you know, when, when Solomon dedicated the temple, we get this, how many times in the book of Psalms, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for the Lord is good, his mercy endures forever, or for the Lord is his love endures forever. And they try to tell us, these dispensationalists try to say that this is of, of grace. This, this is the age of law. Like, like as if God doesn't have mercy during this time. Like as if he's not good. Like as if he's not loving. Yes, he's the same, always. He's the loving, merciful God. By the way, you see people praising God, saying he is good and his mercy is everlasting more times in the, in the quote-unquote Old Testament than you do in the New Testament. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy is everlasting. Who can speak of, of mighty deeds of the Lord or proclaim all his praise? Blessed are those who maintain justice, who practice righteousness at all times. Amen. Amen. How blessed are those who maintain justice in the footnote judgment, who practice righteousness. Righteousness at all times in the footnotes, the one who performs righteousness at all times. Now, again, if, if it wasn't possible to perform righteousness at all times, and again, this is not righteousness in the eyes of man, of course. This is talking about being in the eyes of God. God, the Bible never preaches or teaches you to be concerned about being righteous in the eyes of man. That's that's teaching you the fear of man, not the fear of God. The, the scriptures teach the opposite. Not to be concerned about, about what man thinks. Only what God thinks. Who practice, who, who performs righteousness at all times. If it wasn't possible, that would be a, this would be an absurd statement. Verse 4. Remember me, Lord, in, in your favor toward your people. Visit me with your salvation, so that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice joy of your nation, that I may boast with your inheritance. We have sinned, others. We have gone astray. We have behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses. Belled by the sea at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, so that he might make his power known. So he rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up, and he led them through the mighty waters as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of one who hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries. No one of them was left. Then they believed his, they sang his praise. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his plan, but became lust, lustfully greedy in the wilderness. And God put that, and God, and excuse me, and put God to the test in the desert. So he gave them their request. 
It's interesting right? how God gives them their request, even though sometimes their request is not not even good. Uh, for example, remember when they wanted a king and God said, you don't want a king. Listen, listen, you don't want a king. You, you, king will make you do all these things and you'll have to pay taxes and it's just going to be a problem. And it's and, and, and lots of problems. You don't want a king. They're like, yeah, yeah, you want. They're like, yes, God, but we want a king. We want a king. We understand. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. There's going to be a lot of bad things about it, but we want a king. And God's like, okay, you want a king? Here's a king. It's like, that's the way it is here too, right? It's like they they become lustfully greedy in the wilderness and God and put God to the test in the desert. So he gave them their rest, but sent a wasting disease among them. Then they became envious of Moses in the camp and of Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord. The earth owned and swallowed up Dathan. There's a big sinkhole right there. And engulfed the company of Abiram. And a fire blazed up in their company. The, the flame consumed the wicked. They made a calf at Horeb and worshipped an image. So they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their, save, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wonders in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said he would destroy them if Moses, his chosen one, had not stood in the gap before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Then they had rejected the pleasant, the pleasant land. They did not believe his, but grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he swore to them that he would have them fall in the wilderness. And they would bring down their descendants among the nations, scatter them in the lands. By the way, before we get too far, notice very clearly we have Egypt, or at least Africa there, identified as the land of Ham. Verse 28. They also followed Baal Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. So they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas, or in Hebrew, Pinchas, stood up and intervened. And so the plague was brought to a halt. And it was credited to him so or to all generate two generations forever. Now this is interesting too, very very interesting, because this is in the Talmud, or I should say, in the writings of where is it now? Ramban, I think it is. He likens this unto the phrase when Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness, and he 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 explained it in a way that it wasn't just belief that got that gave Abraham the status of being righteous, but rather it was what he did. It's very, very similar to what James says in James chapter two. It's not just belief that what that that got Abraham that righteousness status, but it was what he did, just like how he has here. Because and we, we're talking about the um, you know the uh, doctrine of dispensationalism. If 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 that's the truth, we know it's not. But 
If you're talking to someone who is a dispensationalist, you can bring this up to them. In the same dispensation, or at least in the Old Testament, you can say we have uh, Abraham who just believed God and was accredited to him for, for righteousness. And here Phinehas, it's the same kind of phraseology. Something he something about Phinehas that caused him to receive this as well. It was it was what he did in executing the wrath of God. That is what was counted as righteousness to all generations forever. And that's amazing. And by the way, before I go too far again, I, and I don't think it'd be. I don't think I'd be. I, I don't think I'd be doing it justice if I didn't say this, because some people may, may never, may not have heard this before. But in the um, okay, so so um, this is Genesis fifteen verse, and he believed in the Lord. This is Abraham believed in the. Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, there are, there's a couple of different ways of translating this or understanding this, not translating, uh, interpreting, I should say. Uh, so, obviously, he believed in the Lord, speaking about Abraham believed in the Lord. But the, the question is, who is he and who is him? Because it makes all the difference. And he counted it to him. Him for righteousness. He is the same he of, of, of this. If he here, if he in the first half of that verse is the same he in the second half of the verse, then that is Abraham. And he, being Abraham, counted it to him being the Lord for righteousness. So let me just say it this way. There is the theory out there, and this is also to, uh, speaking of uh, Ramban, uh, um, talks about this, and this was actually brought to my attention by another, um, uh, it was actually a Christian on TikTok that literally brought this to my attention to begin with, before I even knew about Ramban's teaching about this. And he asked me the question, this Christian asked me the question, asked me like, is he Abraham here or is it God? And him, him, is this Abraham or is it God? Because it makes all the difference. Uh, so if it's, so let me just say it this way. So God told Abraham that his um, that his seed will be as like like the stars of heaven in number. Okay. So Abraham believed believed God. Okay. Abraham believed the Lord. Now, if it means that the Lord credited credited it. To Abraham for righteousness, just because he believed. The question is, and this is what um, Ramban brought out. The question is, why would Abraham be rewarded for believing someone who never lies anyway? Why would Abraham be greatly rewarded for believing someone who never lies anyway? It's, can you imagine this? Can you imagine being at work and your boss tells you, hey, you know what? Like, um, it tells you something, whatever, okay? And you believe him. And the boss goes, oh, you believe me? Wow, I'm going to give you a reward for that. It's like, shouldn't I believe you anyway? Like, why are you rewarded for believing you? 
I mean, you tell the truth anyway. I mean, that's basically the idea. So, but the other side of the coin would be this. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm just, I'm just saying this is this is another theory that Abraham believed God. That Abra basically this, and he believed in the Lord. Abraham believed the Lord because Abraham counted the Lord as righteous. In other words. Abraham believed the Lord because Abraham counted the Lord as not as being righteous, that God never lies. That therefore he believed him. Now that sounds a little bit more that sounds different, doesn't it? Let me just put it that way. Um just give me a uh give me about um give me about three or four minutes, guys. I'll be right back. Sheepdog Ministries, uh, Will says, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but the only definition in scripture I'm aware of for righteous is Deuteronomy 6.25. That's the clearest one, yes. I mean, it, it, I, I, I find it, I find it, it's kind of unfortunate that we have to get, we have to actually come to the point where it's like we need a definition for righteous. I understand though, I understand the reason why you asked that. I understand how people so twist it. They just so twist it. You need to find something like that. But yes, that is the that's the best one that I'm aware of. Um but yeah, it's unfortunate that Christians I mean righteous the very the very word righteousness definition should say it all. I mean that should tell you it's you know doing what's right in how do you do what's right? Or how do how are you in the state of being right with God? Basically that's what it is. Um. Yeah. So, oh, a lot of it's just so much, so much confusion out there. Vinny says maybe the first set of stone, the first set of tablets were sapphire. The second set uh, made by Moses uh, would ha would have to have been granite or marble. Who knows? Just speculating. I I would think that. Whatever Mount Sinai, whatever whatever uh, kind of rock is 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 you know there is probably what that would be the kind of rock that the tablets would be made of because that's it says it was cut out of that rock, from what I understand. Um, yeah, so let me just um, I'll finish that psalm. Verse 32, they also provoked him to wrath at the waters of Meribah, so that it went badly for Moses on their account, because they were rebellious against his spirit. That's interesting. We, you know, you have some Christians, they say, well, we don't go by the Old Testament anymore. We don't go by the law anymore. We just go by his spirit. But this, let me see what it says in the uh, footnotes. Oh, yeah, his spirit, yeah. It's the same thing, just without the capital. Because they were rebellious against his spirit. So, yeah, I mean, it's all about... the Because they rebelled against the Torah, they did rebel against the spirit, because the Torah is the law of the spirit. Verse 33. 
Because they were rebellious against his spirit, he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but they got involved with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to, to the demons and shed innocent blood. The blood of their sons and excuse me, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land filed with the blood, and they became unclean in their practices and were unfaithful in their deeds. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he loathed his inheritance. So he handed them over to the nations, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them. They were subdued under their power. Many times he would rescue them. They, however, were rebellious in their plan, and they sank down into their guilt. Nevertheless, he looked at their distress when he heard their cry, and he remembered his covenant, for then relented according to the greatness of his mercy. He also made them objects of compassion and in the presence of all their captors. Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations to give us your, or excuse me, to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people shall say, Amen. Praise, finally, Psalm 107. The Lord rescues people from many troubles. This would be awesome. He is good. His mercy is everlasting. Here we are again, people. Here we are again. Again, where do you find that? I mean, we see this phrase over and over again in, in the so-called Old Testament, not in the New Testament. The redeemed of the Lord shall say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy, gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a bed. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their souls felt weak within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He also had them walk on a straight way to go to an inhabitant city. They shall give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and for his ones of mankind. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and he has filled hungry soul with what is good. There were those who lived in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains. Because they had rebelled against the word of God and rejected the plan of the Most High. Let me just stop here for a second. Because this is a very, it appears to be a clear description of the hell, quote unquote, hell, uh, that we read about, uh, let's say, for example, in was it Second Peter and in Enoch, where it talks about the angels that sinned being delivered 
down into the depths, into the pit, in darkness, in chains. Okay, very, very, very much looks like that's what this is talking about. Therefore, this is verse 12, therefore he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from from their distresses. He brought them darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. They shall give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and for his to the sons of mankind. For he has shattered gates of bronze and cut off bars of iron. Fools because of their rebellious way and because of their guilty deeds were afflicted. Their souls loathes of food. And they came close to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, them from their distresses. He sent his word and healed them. He saved them from their destruction. They shall give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and for his wonders to the kind. They shall also sacrifice, also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. And tell of his works with joyful singing. Those who go down to the sea in who do business on great waters have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised a stormy wind, which lifted the, the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their. They reeled and staggered like like a drunken drunken person, and were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He brought them out of theirs. He caused the, the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So He guided them in their desired harbor. They shall give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and for his wonders to the sons of mankind. They shall also exalt him in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. He turned he turns rivers into a wilderness and springs of water into a thirsty ground and a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He turns a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water. And he was hungry to live. And he was, excuse me, and he has the hungry liver so that they may establish an inhabited, inhabited city and sow fields and plant vineyards and gather a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them and they multiply greatly. And he does not let their cattle decrease. When they become few and lowly because of oppression, misery, and sorrow, he pours contempt upon noblemen and makes them wander in a pathless wet wasteland. But that's the needy securely on high, away from affliction, and makes his families like a flock. Upright see it and are glad, but all injustice shuts its mouth. Who is wise? He is to pay attention to the 
these things and consider the mercy. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pick out the ones that have at Christopher on it right now. Um, I got to wrap this up in just a few minutes. What happened to the ark? Good question. Um, I have spent a lot of time reading and researching and watching videos and 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 all kinds of things about where the the uh, everything from. You got like people who say that it's in, uh, you know, in Europe or people who say that it's, um, you know, uh, you got uh, Wyatt's account of it. You've got um, uh, the, the uh, Maccabees who said that, that um, Jeremiah hit it uh, on the other side of the Jordan, this, this where Moses died. Um, you got several different accounts of it. Okay. So, after a lot of research, and it's it's been on my mind to make a video about this many for a long, perhaps. After looking at all the evidence, it is very, very clear. And I mentioned this to Dr. Snyder. Um, uh, when he was on here as well. And he sees exactly what I saw. There is undoubtedly, undoubtedly, but let me put it this way. The amount of evidence that the Ethiopian Orthodox Church has is way better and way more than any other evidence of anybody else. They provide a whole lot more and better evidence. The evidence of Wyatt does not stand at all. It doesn't. Not even close. Um, the evidence of the Ethiopian church is very much, it's, it's a lot more believable. Let me just put it that way. Who can say 100%? And I know people have strong feelings one way or another, but to make a long story, just, just the tip of the iceberg, okay? The Ethiopians have a documented history going back thousands of years. They show it actually on the, if you can find an, an archived version of the um, uh, Digging for the Truth by Josh Bernstein when he went on a quest for the Ark. Um, and um, he, went to, he went to different places as well looking for it. Uh, and then he finally went to Ethiopia where they showed him, they actually showed on, on, on video the actual book of the, the history of it. They got the history of it. They have... Um, they have many of the other articles of the temple there, including the silver trumpets, the breastplate of the high priest, the fork that was used for the sacrifices, the basin. I mean, there's lots of things that they have there. It's like, man, you got almost all the rest of the of the of the items of the temple here. It just why not the ark too? Uh, but that's not the only piece of, they got the documentation, they got the names, they have people who have given their lives. As you see, when you got someone who is um, in, in Ethiopia, 
in Axum, Ethiopia, and Mount, um, what's it called now? St. Mary of Zion's, St. Mary of Zion's uh, chapel, where they, they say it is. Now, it wasn't there all the time, but it was in different places. And they can take it into different places throughout throughout the centuries. Like hundreds of years ago, it was over here. Another, you know, they, again, they, they have the history. They have the archaeological evidence. They say at one point in time, like about, I forget what it was, some, so many hundred AD, it was over, you know, at a different location. They show the location. And they have evidence that they actually had like the Holy of Holies. Um, uh, the exactions of the um, the Holy of Holies in the scriptures, uh, archaeological evidence of of like the tent. Um, what do you call it? Posts that they used for to build this um, Holy of Holies. And they have a man that watches the ark from the time of Queen Mechida with Prince Menelik. When the story goes that Menelik actually got a hold of it from from uh, from Solomon, um, and from that time they've had a Levite in charge of the ark all the way up until today. That Levite has to stay with the ark in the compound that the ark is in in the place that the heart the ark is in for the rest of his life he cannot go out he cannot go to <laughs> he cannot go to mcdonald's okay he cannot go home he's got to stay with the ark until he dies so these people man after man after man after man after man after man after generation after generation of of levites have watched this ark they've have they have it all documented for thousands of years, hundreds of men have given their lives for this item that they have. They have a lot more evidence as opposed to some lost ark somewhere that nobody can say exactly where it is. It is, uh, they have a lot more evidence. And again, I all of it right now. I have I'm actually, uh, someone of the other day, my, uh, antiquated, Hub pages. I used to have uh, hub pages where I wrote articles. If you go there, I do have an article uh, detailing a lot more than I can say right now. I just don't have the time to go through it all. It would take a long time to go through it all. But trust me, I'm, I mean, it depends. There, there are people who have their minds made up already. People who have their minds made up. Now, I, I'm telling you, I mean, the reason why I'm telling you that they have more evidence is because. Hey, if I see better evidence, I'll change my mind. If I see better evidence, I'll change my mind. I haven't seen anything even close to it. Not even anything, not even close to what the evidence they have yet. But if this kind of thing, people should come to the table with an open mind saying, you know what? I think for certain, I'm willing to change my mind if I see better evidence. All right. Um, so, who can say? Je the account of Jeremiah in the book of Maccabees says it's 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 on basically around the same mountain or on the mountain that Moses died. Okay, Wyatt's account, which is <laughs> he's got super super very poor evidence. He's got very poor evidence. 
that's not scribble. That does not cut it at all. Um, in my point, in my point of view, in my opinion, it's 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 very poor. Opian evidence is way better. The evidence that it's in Britain or some other place is again that's poor evidence. It's not good. Um, so that's it in a nutshell, Jamie. I don't know what else. Uh, again, without going into another couple hours, and I just don't have the time for that. Jamie says, Wyatt uh, definitely found the true Exodus site, Mount Sinai, for sure. Well, you know, Catherine's Monastery at the base of Mount Sinai. This is a this is a tradition that's gone back all the way back, like for the better part of two thousand years. Okay. Um, they the they even have the bush that they bush of the burning bush and that kind of thing. That is much more believable for evidence. Um, when you have people going back in in for you know fifteen hundred sixteen hundred years or more uh, that this is the this is the site that was established. It's way evidence so uh, i don't think that the uh that the site was ever lost i think that site was always known great deception have you heard of the cave of treasures yes i have all right guys that'll wrap it up actually it was a little bit late. again lord willing we'll be back tomorrow night same time same place to pick up where we left off with uh um, our um, chronological Bible reading. We will read tomorrow, Lord willing, we will be reading just nothing of the Psalms, actually. We'll be reading many, how many Psalms? Looks like about a dozen Psalms tomorrow. So, yeah, get into that tomorrow. And of course, we'll, we'll be fellowshipping and, and uh, answering questions and comments and so on and so forth, as always. And uh, yeah, so in the meantime, this coming Friday, we got, uh, you know, um, Jackson Snyder and uh, Will will be back on on, uh, this coming Friday. We have, um, let me see now. This would be in about two or three weeks' time. Two or three weeks' time. The actual date is not yet in stone, but um, in about two or three weeks' time, Onia will be back uh, with talk about evidence. I actually contacted and said, Brother, give me some good evidence that the that the manuscripts, be it be it the New Testament Greek or the or the Masoretic or whatever, give me some good evidence that it that it has been corrupted. And he said, I've got good evidence. I said, Okay, with you. And I want let's let's talk about it. Give me the evidence. Let's get into the manuscripts. Let's do it. I think it's important. So um so that's what we're looking at doing in about two or three weeks' time. Again, the date is yet to be firmed up, so he'll be he'll be on talking about that. Um, 
And also, O'Neill will be back again in the middle of July uh, to, uh, to talk about his huge project that he's doing with uh, the Book of Esther. And I mentioned that earlier. That's very, very interesting. He let me in on a little bit, give me a little sneak peek. And I'm telling you, it's just, it's, it's amazing, actually. Um, that guy, uh, O'Neill, he's, uh, he's, 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 he's quite the, quite the brother. He can write a, he, he's the type of guy who can sit down and write a dictionary, you know, like he's, he can get into, he can get into a, a lot of detail and just plug away at it. Just, uh, it's, it's just amazing. Will at Sheepdog Ministries says, thank you, brother. Good night. Thank you very much, Will. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, blessings multiplied to you. Caballero. Arrow says, thank you. See you tomorrow. Good night. Amen. See you tomorrow, Caballero. Blessings, brother. Sarah says, to for and everyone else here, have a, hope you have a good night. God bless you all. Thank you very much, and God bless you more. Thank you very much. Great Deception says, thank you, brother. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. Tower Time says, stay blessed, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much the tower time thank you and bless you thank you very much one don and vinnie says thank you christopher god bless everyone shalom amen amen all right guys so i'll see you again tomorrow night lord willing all right as always I pray the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. See you tomorrow night.